warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for all you youngsters out there. So listener discretion is advised. Second, this episode will contain spoilers for Space Daddy, so be careful if you haven't finished the show yet. Finally, the views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the individual participants and do not reflect those of the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. But hey, don't let the disclaimer get to you. Whenever life gets you down, boobies get you back up again. You just read my mind, baby. Huh? I found you, faker. You're the faker around here. <laughs> you can compare yourself You're to me. You're not even good enough to be my fake. You are so me. Right back at you. I'm you, okay? Well, I'm you too. Who are you? You. And who are you? I'm me. Uh, I'm confused. What was the whole point of this bit again? Who cares, baby? Let's get this party started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of Dub Talk. Yes, I'm your master for tonight, Space Daddy. But you can call me Jamal. And with me on my ship tonight are my crewmates. Uh, I think her name, her name, she said her name was uh, Miriam, but I just called her Megan. Yo. Also, I'm hungry. <laughs> but, but with me is also my trusty companion, uh, Jet, or JT for short. Beep. Boop, 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 boop. Hello. <laughs> uh, join us on our adventures as we travel with space to hunt down dubs. That's right, baby. If you can't tell by the groove tonight, we'll cover the 2014 Bones animated show, Space Dandy. Ah, man, I swear, they'll put anything in space nowadays. I mean, you know, we had Power Rangers in space. I mean... <laughs> I mean, they put uh, Tim Curry in space. And now we have Johnny Bravo in space. I was, I was going to say, I cannot believe that uh, Florida Man has extended into space. Uh, you, say that, you say that, that there's apparently a flash flood warning down here today, so... <laughs> All I hope is that you do not drive through the flash flood for the elusive shrimp. Do not hydroplane for the food. That's what our that, that's what our crew tried to do for the last twenty six episodes. But Space Daddy, but it's funny because Space Daddy's a unique episode for one or two reasons. For one, it helped, it basically pioneered what we now know to nowadays as a simultub. Although it turns out this wasn't the first attempt that the dubbing industry has tried this before, because I think. You mentioned something like this a while ago, Jet. I was like, oh yeah, the first Simul dub was uh, technically Kuro Kami, which I don't think anyone but me. Which I don't think anyone really remembers. Is uh, Kuro Kami anywhere legally streaming? Uh, see, fun, okay, see, fun fact, uh, that was one of the shows that was supposed to be picked up by Sentai back when uh, Sunrise was doing that uh, thing where they were giving away pretty much all their old catalog titles to Funimation and Sentai. And uh, that was one of the ones uh, Sentai did not release. So, uh, it's in limbo. Oh, no. Yeah, uh, kind of a shame. I mean, that did have a pretty good dub cast. Fun fact, that show starred 
I kid you not, Laura Bailey and Jason Griffith. So Toru and Griffith went into space. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a very interesting time. But uh, what also makes this episode very special is that today is my birthday. Yo, happy birthday, Jamal. Happy birthday. It's funny, because this year I thought I'd pick a fun one, and then I realized I kind of have some history with this show. Because let me tell you, 2014 was a pretty shit year for me, mostly. Two years out of college, get fired from my second job. I lose my grandma. The same day I lose my job, she gets cremated. Uh, the world loses a legend in Robert Williams. I started... Probably my most high anxiety job as a dishwasher ever. Which let me tell you, once you once you come out of anxiety, you'll become a better person for it. Although you'll have periods now and then, but during that time, Space Danny came across as something special because it was the likes of which the world had never seen before. A cyber dub in this day and age, at the same time as the Japanese? That was unheard of even even now, like but it paved the way for not only the uh, Japanese staff, which some of them were kind of pretty small name at the time, except for one. Uh, this takes place in the Shinichiro Watanabe-verse. Uh, yeah. Well, all... oh. Yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, yeah, this show is a surprising huge who with uh, animators in hindsight. Not only that, it was also the platform for a lot of these larger stars you see nowadays, like people like Clifford Chapin, Megan Shipman, Rico Fajardo, all of them. Hell, I was surprised to even hear Clifford two episodes of this. Yeah, I was actually surprised when I looked at the credits and I saw Rico's name, and I was like, oh. Yeah, and then somehow, like, after everything changed. The show just somehow faded to obscurity. Yeah. It's kind of it was kind of Netflix famous for its time. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, enough blabber. You probably want to know what the show is about, don't you? Space Dandy. He's a dandy guy in space. He travels upon the Aloha Oi, searching for creatures that are friendly and not. Eh, that's the TLDR of it, because, <laughs> trust me, if I read the description off the Blu-ray, you still wouldn't be able to comprehend this show. Yeah, it's but, just a, yeah the plot doesn't really matter. There's, there's, it doesn't until it does, somehow. There is one plot that matters in Space Dandy, and it is found below the waist. <laughs> Booty. It is the state it is the state fruit of Georgia. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it, yeah. This show was basically just like teenage girl Watanabe just like gathering up all his friends and being like, "Hey, so uh, here's this guy. Uh, he has a pompadour. He's in space. Like he has, he has like this talking cat and a robot, and uh, he likes boobs. Go nuts." Do you remember that yeah, episode of Cowboy much. Bebop that happened when they all got high off of the fridge, the rotten fridge food? <laughs> oh, kind of funny you mentioned Cowboy Bebop because 
Imagine what was going on in that fridge. That's what Space Dandy has always been to me. Or at least until it hits me out of stomach. No, seriously, the, the show is so apt on references, especially Cowboy Bebop references, that uh, on the Blu-ray itself, on disc one, there's a trailer for Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, I do think... Yeah, they do have the same currency, so it probably takes place in the same multiverse, the, technically. Yeah, the currency, the fridge, the... Well, there's a lot of stuff, but... Uh, we... But we ain't got time for all of that. Ain't nobody got time for that. But enough scrambling. We should probably get on to the ADR portion of this episode. And because this was such a new process, it's a large ADR staff here. We have two directors and five scriptwriters. Our two directors are Joe McDonald and Zach Bolton. Joe McDonald, you've seen him direct other shows such as Assassination Classroom, Bento, Dead Man Wonderland, Data Life Season 1, and One Piece. Zach Bolton, you've also seen him direct Are You the Scarlet Ammo, Begada HK, A Certain Magical Index, A Certain Scientific Railgun, and Death Parade. Our scriptwriters are Bonnie Clinkybeard, who's also written for Black Butler, Noragami Noragami Aragoto, and Soul Leader. Jamie Maki is also written for Blood Sea, Dead Alive Season 1, and Kami-sama Kiss. John Bergmeier, in addition to being the head writer for Funimation up until 2018, he's also written for Beck Margonian Chop Squad, Kadocha, and Soti Ray. We also have Marco Rial, who's written for Bento, The Angel, and Fairy Tale. Last but not least is Patrick Sykes, who's also written for Gretzko, Drifters, and Gamers. So, we're going to go round robin for this. Who'd like to go first? Um, I guess I'll go. So, um, yeah, so I think uh, given this was Funimation's first venture into the world of simuldubbing, I think they did a pretty good job with it on the whole, and that the dub is pretty solid. Uh, having said that, I do think that, like, early on, I think there was kind of a notable difference in quality and direction between... Uh, the episodes Zach Bolton directed and the episodes that Joe McDonald did. Uh, mainly that the episodes Joe McDonald did kind of had a little more energy to them when it came to like a lot of the comedic timing. While in the Zach Bolton episodes, it was kind of a little more bitter miss sometimes. It can sometimes be a little flatter than I would have liked in that area. I mean, I, like, admittedly, Zach Bolton has kind of been a little bitter miss for me as a director. But in this case, it kind of had more to do with the fact that he's and generally kind of tended to specialize in doing a lot more, like, dramatic or darker stuff, like, you know, your future diaries or your darker than blacks and not so much comedy. So I think that he kind of had to, like, figure out how to handle comedy with this show as he went along. And, like, to his credit, I do think he improved on that end as the show went along. And after, like, the first six or seven episodes, I think that so when Zach's direction became a lot more seamless and it's not a consistent, no matter which of them was directing. So, uh... Yep, so uh, definitely improved on that end, and I'm glad it did, because, yeah, this is a fun show. And script-wise, the dub is also pretty fun on that end. There are a lot of really great one-liners sprinkled throughout the show. And similar to the Japanese version, I think having so many scriptwriters for the dub would actually to the show's benefit. 
Uh, because the show has so many different moods and each episode is pretty much something different, I think that having a lot of different script writers for the dub, it kind of helped to uh, capture the mood of whatever any given episode was and uh, kind of and kind of helped that and kind of helped to capture the tone of whatever was going on perfectly so yeah um so yeah on the whole uh pretty happy with this dub. had some uh, had like some minor growing pains but uh but looking back on it it was still a pretty fun time yeah, yeah i think wait, what oh, oh go, sorry, ahead. go ahead oh no you can go first Okay, so what I think it was, I was watching the episode commentaries for this, because I'd been following the show again through Blue Way, which, let me tell you, as soon as I started the show, it was like a trip and a half going back in time, which no pun intended. One of the reasons it there was, like, maybe a consistent inconsistency in certain things was, one, there was a new process to them, because uh, I think, <coughs> hold on, Joe explained that, uh, the they had to hit the ground running like from the moment they got the Japanese footage, mm-hmm. so so they took about a day and a half to translate, a day and a half to script write. Then they would record, review, and send the episodes to Cartoon Network within like a week. And then Zach explained that like they had to like condense a process that usually takes them like four to six months down to two weeks. So every step of the process was like one to two days and then not only that because they do they were doing this as they went when they auditioned they didn't have anything to go off of not maybe not your only track at times but like sacco said that the some of the auditions kind of went off pictures you know kind of like your old prediction methods where we used to do predictions Megan mm-hmm. I'd look at so, a picture. I'd look at a picture and go. It basically the same point they were doing, so it was <laughs> it was very unique and of course it was definitely not an easy process, so uh but they managed to make it work and uh, I know that at some points they said that like some of the episodes were recorded out of order. Uh, as we'll find out later on. <laughs> but I think for the most part everybody did a solid job and it's amazing like other than maybe like some obvious episodes you could tell certain people wrote you couldn't really spot any differences because every show had a different story and uh, it just kind of that's another thing too they kind of had to alternate with the direct with not only with the direction with the script writing depending on who was available because availability was the big factor at the time like if you weren't available to do this then you know you'd probably be somewhere else in the show if you were to be in the show at all you know but I think for the most part everybody did the standout job and for something that paved the way for that like even now eight years later god the fact that this is eight years ago just made me like cringe into a singularity and how old I am getting Sam so was would that singularity be the first dimension or the zero dimension yes Ooh, boy, so I'm good. How, what, what are your thoughts, Maggie? So I was the person who had never seen the show until now. Um, I had maybe watched like an episode or two, like er, like out of there. But like Space Dandy was one of those things. Like I was the last person to be on the bus for. Hi, buddy. Um, sorry, the cat just came over. Um, 
Hi. So, speaking of cats, Meow, my Meow isn't here, but she doesn't wear Crocs like actual Meow. But, um, for me, the thing that works the most about this dub is that they got the right three people for the core member of the Aloha Oi and the supporting cast that you see a lot more. And I think that a lot of what they were able to bring in for the episodic stuff was great. Um, some of it, I don't think maybe has aged as well in eight years. Some of it has aged well in a way that we don't want to talk about. Um, but overall, I think the casting work was done. And I find it really funny that Joel McDonald was one of the people who who did this. Because he would go on to do their, like, second simuldub, which was Laughing Under the Clouds. Which, I might need to rewatch the commentary, but I genuinely remember when he cast that, Joel had to sit and ask Chris and Dave Trosco if they were going anywhere for three months. And then he literally didn't tell Terry Doty and just had cast Terry Doty. Um, that's how much faith he had had in her for that, so... Writing-wise, I do think that this is a show that definitely definitely took advantage of the fact that, like Jet said, this was, Hi, my name is Shinichiro Watanabe. This is my friend Shingo Natsume. Would you like to make an anime with me? Um, I think the series could be subbed up as, It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Dandy would be the guy who yells, "Don't nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Um, <laughs> so I think that that worked out. But the thing that I think we, we kind of have to talk about is that Space Dandy really did change how a lot of writing is done. And in a sense is, did its legacy at this point work out for the better or for worse? But that's like, final thought stuff but as a writing piece i really liked it there's a lot of really good one-liners um there's a lot of references to stuff but overall i think that because of the way that the series itself was presented getting to be a little bit more wild with it was probably appreciated because they kept definitely the spirit of the show but at the same time can you really tell which version has the real spirit of the show because technically we actually got ours first. Because I believe English Space Dandy would come out a day before Japanese Space Dandy. Yeah, basically. I do remember Daddy himself saying that uh, it was all about timing to, to come out at or before the Japanese to keep the jokes kind of fresh because if they were to come out the other way around, it would yeah. not have landed this much. Yeah, and even then, it's it's kind of debatable if how much hi by by cat, um, how much space dandy really did take off, because like I I remember there's there's like an article in A and N which is why didn't space dandy take off like Cowboy Bebop did as a, a, a cultural phenomenon, but I think I think there is still just this underlying respect for the show in general, even if it's not getting the like. I don't know the better way to describe this. The the flocking seagulls of Finding Nemo just streaming peak at everything. Yeah, I think 
But yeah, I think it's a show that like people have kind of like come around to more with time. But like when it was airing, uh, Tsunami tried really, really hard to market it as the next time we meet up, which uh, probably a mistake given the nature of what the show actually is. Yeah, Cowboy Bebop is a lot more, is to me definitely, I think, the stronger written show. Like, you don't go into Cow, you don't go into Space Dandy expecting, like, a lot of the way that, um. Oh, gosh. Uh, God, I'm trying to think of this. Uh, the way that, um, Cowboy Bebop does, which is a lot more overtly political at times. Like, there are kind of some political episodes of Space Dandy, but there are also a lot of Space Dandy episodes that can be summed up as herder titty. Or ass. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. But it's kind of funny, like, how for the most part Space Dandy just seems like a series of stories. Like I said, it's it doesn't seem connected until it's not. So the fact that you kind of have to just go with the flow until the very end is like... <laughs> and it's kind of funny because there was some scenes that some actors were kind of surprised. When we get to be, boy, do I have a story for you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, finish your thoughts? Uh, oh, no, I'm done. You're good. Okay, so... But yeah, for the most part, it's been a wild ride. I guess the other thing would say it's not about the destination, it's the journey. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, going on this journey, uh, we have the crew of the Aloha Oi. So we're doing something a bit different this episode. We're going to start with the Aloha Oi, end with the Aloha Oi, but we're also going to have a little bit of fun in the middle, which you will see soon, shortly, viewer. <laughs> So we have the titular space daddy himself, Daddy. Uh, just no nonsense. Alien bounty hunter searching for the rare species he can find. Just, just to lie his own pockets, basically. He he has his partner, his trusty vacuum cleaner, QT, who speaks with an R2 kind of voice. Which I find to be the very fun part, a very fun part of Space Daddy because. You never know what kind of languages you're gonna hear in this show. Together, they try and capture what they thought was a rare alien, uh, meow meow meow, or meow. <laughs> a Beetlejuicyid who, who, like Daddy, is also a bit of a pervert. Matter of fact, Daddy thought he was a rare species because he, at first he had a sticker from a boobies on the side of his face and distinguished himself so much. The dad who tried to capture him throughout the entire Boobies restaurant. And of course, he caused his stuff a bit trouble, but it turns out there's a very special secret involving Daddy, but we'll get to that. But playing these three, uh, Daddy's played by Ian Sinclair. Yeah, it's played by ADR director Joe McDonald. And QT is played by Alison Victorin. So, Ian Sinclair, I mean, what hasn't he been in? We haven't heard him already. He's Zap Redford, Blood Blockade Battlefront, Tsukasa Shishio, Dr. Stone, Joe McDonald, you've heard of as Yuga Aoyama in My Hero Academia, and pa Brief and Patty in Stalking, and Alison Victor, you've heard of as Kuroko Shirai in the Real Dex franchise, 
and show you a blending fairy tale. Now, I think we're going to go group discussions from here on out. Which character y'all want to start with first? Uh, I'll start with Cutie, because, uh... Yeah, I thought Allison did a good job. I, I kind of actually like the weird auto-tune filter that they give Cutie. <laughs> yeah, gives me, some tea paid, gives me some T-paid vibes. <laughs> hey there, girl. What's your name? Let me talk to you. Let me buy myself a drink. I'm Cutie. You see me. <laughs> Conversations never bothered me. That's the episode where QT falls in love. That's it. That's the entire summary of the episode. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. So I gotta say, one thing I one thing I really appreciate is that even though QT the robot and would therefore be the smart one by default, it's clear that between Dandy, QT, and Meow, they all share only one brain cell. And while QT probably has it the most out of the three, he's as stupid as the other two. And I think that that also gets it across pretty well, which is a lot, which is always a lot of fun. Collectively, yeah. there are no brain cells and no bitches aboard the Aloha Hoy. Just like episode four. That's the zombie episode. Oh, yeah. Just, uh. just, just God bless QT. Just crap. I love the part. I think my favorite QT moment, other than, you know, the part where QT becomes a kaiju. Yeah. It's just Allison's delivery. I think of one point where they're like trying to cop. Like, process so much data, and they just can't anymore. And I, I love know, that- right? I, I also love when QT just- QT just decides, I like fishing! Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Ah, uh, that was beautiful. I know, right? I mean... <laughs> especially the Comedionian episode, because... Yes! It's like... Oh man, that was a fun episode to do because my suit, my black suit, you know, go. Ah, yeah, yeah, man, it really is. I really do appreciate the dude that like Tsunoko is just like common in that universe, apparently. Yeah, just, just also. What next thing you're gonna tell me? The robot is no. The thing tied up next to me was one. <laughs> it just Allison's like. Trying to just keep on, keep on. It's like, oh, oh, cutie, honey, they're so dumb. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I really, uh, yeah, I thought that Alton did a good job switching between, you know, sometimes being the voice of reason for the trio, and then more often than not, just kind of going along with Danny shenanigans or just very clearly missing signs that he's in danger while making both sound like they can sign, like they can somehow come from the same character. Like, like, there are a couple of situations where, like, Danny's very clearly about to die. And, like, QT and Meow are just kind of sitting there like, oh, well, I guess he's sleeping. Yeah. He's yeah. not dead, he's just sleeping. Yeah, I'd say that Dandy, QT, and Meow as a trio are almost an Ed, Ed, and Eddie kind of thing in a sense. Except, you know, you replace Eddie with Johnny Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah. For, yeah, for what it's worth, yeah, QT, even though it's supposed to be a straight bad, it's definitely dumb, especially with that whole, uh, what was it, episode 3, where he bought all those expired space meals, just because yes. they were cheap, to which, oh boy, when we get to that, when we get to that episode, that's gonna be fun. <laughs> just, QT uh, just is like, I did it, and it's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> 
But again, the best part about QT is not only the autos, where he gets his own episodes. So. And then you come to find out he falls in love with a coffee baker. What do us weren't to do anything for her, even go on to his uh, dream island, which is not a dream at all, just to try to bring her back. Come to find out she's in love with the cash register played by Chris Kaysen. Ah. Uh. It's always someone else. Yeah. Who then became uh, a, a revolutionary and tried to destroy all of mankind. Uh, as you do, because, you know, I mean, uh, you, uh, you know, you can't have a robot without at least one robot revolution in there somewhere. Yeah, I guess we should have seen that coming as soon as we heard Brandon Potter. People <laughs> want revolution. I think we're good to move on from there. Y'all want y'all want to talk about Meow before we tackle with Andy? Yeah, yeah. Meow, meow, and his uh, petal goose, petal juicy, and uh, crown jewels. Which Joel McDonald's really good at playing horny losers. Let's be real. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty uh, much. Yeah, yeah, he is very good at that. That's his typecast. <laughs> and Meow is the biggest loser. I mean, who the fuck wears Crocs everywhere in space? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like, I will say though that the episode where they get stuck in the time loop at his house was genuinely yeah. very touching, and that he got cock blocked because of lesbians. Wow, um, that was <laughs> to the point. Yeah, to the just, I'm, I'm, I'm gay. No, that's it. We're leaving. Takes <laughs> a chainsaw to a calendar. Just, <laughs> like, Which I thought. Uh, there's the whole episode where I think he gets. I'm trying to remember. Is it? There's one episode where he gets eaten, and they just turn in the. They just turn in the alien, and they just forget that he's just in there. Ah, oh, that was great. Just, 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 oh yeah, that's the uh, the 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 spoiled food episode. Yeah, it was yeah, that they, one. Yeah, he he just dies in that. Like, there's a lot of episodes of Space Dandy that just end with the crew getting like. Destroyed, destroying the universe, dying, getting maimed. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. They, Doctor Jell and B, have all died at least like three or four times. I am pretty sure yeah. Scarlet and Honey are like the only ones in the main cast who like never explicitly died on screen, except for the no, final they episode. Die. Yeah, they die in the final episode technically, but then they all come back to life because it shows a giant time loop. Um, but like Joel's just just makes me out like both loving and pathetic at the same time. And, yeah. like, he's got the confidence of... Okay, he's got the confidence of a guy who went to the anime convention, spent three days in the gaming room, and then asked why he was maidenless. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I definitely appreciate that while, like, Joel does a good job of making me out kind of sound like the normal one of the main trio... He's also just the most, the most consistently dumb in situations, and Joel gets that across really well. And he also does a pretty good job playing the butt monkey, because Meow probably suffers the most slapstick next to Dandy, and it's pretty funny. I will say, though, Joel's <laughs> female cat girl voice was kind of cursed. But nothing was more cursed in the entirety of Space Dandy then the episode with the strings and depressed dandy universes, QT. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, that thing was horrifying. 
Yeah, uh, admittedly, like, depressed me, I was also terrified, but, like, QT scares me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fear things, but that thing, that thing scares me. Yeah, pretty much. I had two drinks today, but I swear I have a third. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but going back to the episode where, like, yeah, but going back to the episode where, like, he goes back to his home... Uh, I definitely, uh, I definitely did. I definitely did like uh, Joel's kind of somber delivery there. Especially like during the scene where he kind of like works with his dad to fix the time loop and kind of acknowledges that there is kind of more value to how mundane his dad's life is than he thought there was. And I thought it was pretty sweet for pretty sweet for the show. Also, shout out to the also shout out to David Wall playing the dad. He did a pretty good job there. So fun oh, talk about that. that was, was that David Wall really? Yeah, yeah, that was a bit old. <laughs> so, fun fact about that episode: uh, apparently, Joe was sick when they were about to record that. To the point, I think he asked Zach if like he could cast the family. To which his voice was a little bit scratchy, so he casted some scratchier people to voice his family and stuff. You got David Wald, you got Brittany Karbowski, you got Cynthia Krantz, and one of his friends. It's good old Marcus Stimmick. <laughs> Yay, Marcus Stimmick! Yeah. To which, when I saw the listen to the commentary for this, I couldn't believe what Hardy actually said he was true. He sounds like a drunken Harrison Ford. I mean, my I just... God. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, speaking of Marcus Stimmick... <laughs> Uh, our good friend Josh was talking about uh, the anime. It, how do you pronounce it? Aoshi. Yeah, yeah. Aoshi. Oh yeah, Aoshi. Yeah, yeah. Aoshi. I think is how it's pronounced. Aoshi, and I, I just remember him being like, uh, there was something about like, uh, Marcus Stimmick playing like a high schooler. And my entire reaction, like, that being weird, I'm like, not really after they cast him as a middle schooler in assassination classroom. Wait, wasn't he at the beginning of high school in assassination classroom? No, they were all in middle school. Yep. Yeah, they were, they were all, they were all in middle school trying to get into high school. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's been a hot minute, so... <laughs> uh, thanks to me. I know that Joe was very enthusiastic when he was assigned to be on this show, cause, and we're going to transition into Ian, because it was one of the things he talked about with Ian the most about the show, like, to the point that when the audition came up for him, the audition came up for his space daddy, he got to follow his agent and screamed real loud in his ear. <laughs> because... Oh God. Yeah... Well, you get a chance. You, you gotta check out the, not only the commentaries, but uh, Dandy Guy in Space. I think it's on disc two and four. Uh, oh, the what? live action ads. Oh, I wasn't talking about that, but he had the live action ads. <laughs> yeah, he basically admits after the show, like that he is Dandy and Dandy is him. And, because he described it, what does he say he described this? He described his voice as a combination of Zap Brannigan, Matt Berry, and Robert Goulet, with a little bit of Joey from Friends. 
Okay, thank God they said Zaf Brannigan because that was the biggest vibe I had the entire series that he was just Zaf Brannigan. <laughs> you you are vibe. Uh, apparently, for research, when they uh, <laughs> so so for research, what they said was for research. They went to they spent a lot of time at the uh, restaurants. You know, Yehudas. Also, shout out to Twin Peaks. I did not expect them to get mentioned there because I actually worked there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a regional Hooters, which at least the food's better than Hooters, so, but uh, that's not the point. So, basically, they did, a, I guess, a culture immersion for this show, I would say, because this is the first of its kind, and Ian as Danny was definitely a delight to hear. What is yeah. the big Texas restaurant? Like, uh, me- Hooters is the Florida thing. Like, we created Hooters, Florida. We are the reason why Hooters was unleashed onto the earth. Uh. As as one of the very, very many sins of the state of Florida. Uh, I dr- <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to... I drive by it every time I go to the mall. I always wonder what it's like in there. Uh, I'm just going to say that Texas restaurants just twin peaks because, like I said, I worked it. More regional hooters. I, 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 I can understand from a daddy perspective. To the point, I've actually seen a uh, Rico Fajardo the job training video, but uh, you know that's kind of ah. I there. see. <laughs> I've googled what a twin peaks is. Yes, I don't mean the show from the show from ABC either. Mama, if you're listening. Ah, so there, there's like, there's Twin Peaks, there's Hooters, there's Wing House, there's the Irish one, which I forgot. I think it's called the Twisted Kilt. <laughs> Why mm. does Megan know about restaurants? The world may never know. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Um, Wait. Well, yeah. I really like how. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, so, oh no, I can go ahead. But I really like how Ian just got hang on this character, like, just like that, he's just going with the flow, right? Because other than the directors, even at the last minute, they don't know what's going to happen to them. They don't know where the show is going to go. So just have a bit of fun with it. Uh, yeah, I thought Ian did a really good job of getting across a lot of Danny's kind of general goofiness. Uh, he made him sound like a guy who thinks he's larger than life and uh, pretty much wants everyone to know it. And that's always fun. Uh, I will say that I can do what I said earlier with the direction. I do think he sounded like maybe slightly less energetic comedy-wise than I was expecting for, like, some of the early episodes. It might have just been the direction or maybe he tried to figure out the performance under, like, a tighter schedule than he was, like, maybe used to. And but given how great he generally is in comedy, I was expecting to be, like, blown away immediately and it took maybe a few episodes. But, like, uh, but, after, uh, but after that, he was pretty much fun the whole way through. So, can't complain. Yeah, like, this is, like, Ian's most iconic role of all time. Like, I I would say it's either this or Weiss would be his most iconic roles now. Uh, um, probably, like, this, Weiss, and maybe Tsukasa, Dr. Soon. I, I don't know about Tsukasa. Hi, that is under my desk. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean it's not. Yeah, I mean it's not like Ian was like an unknown actor before this, but like yeah. Oh God, no. Uh, no, <laughs> I was gonna say if I had to think of like I can't really think of what Ian's third like super iconic character would be. I wish it was uh, Zap from Blood Blade Battlefront because I think that is as much as Dan is a really really good comedic Ian performance. I think Zap is even stronger. Oh, um, oh yeah, Zap is great. Yeah. Hi, Shinya. Stop being a Hard bucket. Um, but no, I think I definitely agree that it takes a little bit to get it kind of like going, but like once you get there, it's really good. And one of the things I also really want to applaud Ian is that for as much as this is a a weird kind of sex road trip comedy at points, <laughs> the show isn't afraid to take its time to get, if not exceptionally weird just very like philosophical or like tender um the highlights of those being um the episode with uh where he has the little girl that he's trying to get uh take to get turned in uh the when he gets when he gets to hang out with pop oh um and then of course the uh the uh space dandy dies episode Uh, uh which one uh, uh, the one that is explicitly about him being on the planet that is death. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought he uh, did a good job of showing, like, Danny's more, like, serious side in a lot of his episodes. But I think for I think for me, the one where I was kind of, like, really surprised by, like, I much was able to kind of maybe make Danny sound a little more, like, subdued while so clearly being Danny was uh, probably the episode where he was fake dating Scarlet. Because even though Danny is Danny... You know that he really did kind of want to make that make that work into something more. Of oh kid. yeah, like no, they were they were a great couple for each other. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That came out really well in his delivery, so it made the end of that episode hit even harder. Oh, and also, uh, shout out to him when he's got to play the multiple different versions of himself. Oh, oh, in, yeah, the, yeah, in that, the cosmic strings episode. Oh yeah, that had and to be a nightmare. The fucking the fucking trucker dandy and depressed dandy. Um, I'm a little I'm a little happy and sad we didn't get she dandy. But. As, 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 oh yeah, as, don't yeah. worry, we got don't worry, we got she meow instead. As, as, yeah, and also and also, uh, even though it somehow slipped my mind into that until now, I gotta say like he didn't uh, he didn't pick a job on that singing number there. Oh yeah, he does. He does sing really well in this because he's got. He gets a couple of times where he sings like he's got the 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 episode with Johnny that he sings really well in, and then there's the entire episode, High School Musical episode. Uh, <laughs> I remember. I, I remember in uh, the part part two of the special features, he said he was kind of very nervous about singing. So yeah, like he's not a bad singer, like at all. Like I remember. I was I was actively remembering like he was actually surprisingly good in Sarin Somni when he sings. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Does this I'm trying to remember if this predates him being cast as Broken One Piece or not? Oh, uh, when the fuck did they start? When did Funimation start dubbing One Piece? Oh, uh, they had it since like 2007, but I don't remember when they got but, the Broken. Yeah, because they started. I, they they were doing it in like two directions, where they were like doing the stuff for Toonami so that they would have flowed into 
into that, and then we're also going back and doing the beginning of the show. Um, also, I might need to take a break to use the bathroom in, like, a minute. Uh, yeah, I gotta charge my batteries. So. He debuts in episode 337, which is... Uh, I don't know English information. Um, okay. The ink, it, what, this would have predated it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that air date was um, 2016. Oh, okay, so uh, this might explain why he got canceled there. Yeah, I was gonna say, definitely, yeah, he could definitely sing, like, so, like, good on him. Thank you for, for reminding me that there's a couple of musical episodes in this. Yeah, you know, uh, you can finish up your thoughts on Dandy. I was good. Uh, I think while finding Daddy here, are we good to move on? Yeah. Alright, so we're gonna so we're gonna move on to uh, some of our core cast members. The uh, I guess the I want to say the villains or I don't know the attempted the attempted villain. Yeah, I was gonna make this. I was gonna make this joke later, and as we're talking about them, but might as well make it now. They are effectively the Team Rocket or like Skull Trio from Time Book out of this show. I mean, look, they're a bunch of space cases. I thought that is the life, liberty, pursuit of dandy. You know, just you know, not the weirdest, not the not the weirdest thing I've seen the Statue of Liberty being used for in space. Ah, yes, the Planet of the Apes reference. Yes. Also, potentially a Spaceballs reference. Yes. Speaking of, speaking of Planet of the Apes, uh, we have uh, some of our attempted villains. Uh, Dr. Joe, who is apparently described in the commentary as a gorilla in a pimp suit. I mean, yes. <laughs> Gift, gifted scientist, public villain. He's uh, assisted by his assistant, B, this little uh, pea-sized thing. I, I forget what he was, what he was called, but... He's very nondescript, very self-aware. At one point, he talks about... He talks about... He realizes he dies every week at the show. <laughs> I need to go on vacation. <laughs> and then we come to find out a huge plot twist, which... Oh yeah, there's also a side plot in the story involving a couple of warring space forces. It, it I guess it would be what also a Legend of the Galactic Heroes reference too. Or? Yeah, so, yeah, I appreciate how the show is just like, oh yeah, there's this war going on in the background. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> between the Gogo and the Jaiko Empire, which I realized as of episode two, I think that's a part on Google and Microsoft. Because he talks about, oh, we can't find, we're going to have to find space that we got to use GoGo Galaxy Street View. Yes! <laughs> I was like, damn, that is apt. So it turns out, me, who was assisting for the uh, GoGo Empire, is a spy for the Chico Empire in the last episode. But then he decides, fuck it, I'm my own boss. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, in any other show, that choice would be really stupid. But thankfully, Dandy doesn't take itself all that seriously, so it's actually amazing. You would think so, but there was more to it than you think. 
Yes, the Jaco Empire, <laughs> Empire is war with the Gogo Empire that's led by Admiral Perry. As it turns out, the Avatar is a disembodied figure. Okay, 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 yeah, see, that choice actually bothered me more than me being evil. I wanted him to just be like a scary skeleton guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a disembodied head. I was yeah. gonna say, he's a. Uh... He's, uh, he's their obligatory, uh, Inferno Cap reference. He's their studio trigger. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, uh, ineffectiveness, kind of going back to the whole, like, Tybocon joke. He's, uh, he's, he is effectively, God, let me see if I can find my notes. Uh, yeah, he's supposed to be just like Dokorobi from Tybocon, and that he is definitely, in a sense, he's just a very mean and shadowy boss who exists in the background, but mostly just who punishes his minions and incredibly funny ways whenever they screw up something. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yes. Or as one voice actor described his true form, uh, Kaiser Soze is Admiral Perry, basically. <coughs> I think that might, I don't know what show that's a reference to, but yeah, sure. <laughs> and then we have the narrator who's, as it turns out, is basically the Embodiment, the voice of God, essentially. He's just sitting in the background observing Daddy, breaking the fourth wall every so often. At one point during the Cosmic Strings episode, you can hear like four different versions of him. It was just fucking hilarious. But yeah, he's definitely the most self-aware of the group. To the point that when all is said and done, the end has come. He makes Daddy an offer he couldn't refuse. And uh, Daddy refused it. <laughs> Wait a second, you're telling me that if I become gods, I won't have a body and therefore I cannot touch tits? Yeah, fuck the shit, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, man, let me tell you, playing these four. Dr. Jell is played by J. Michael Tatum. B is played by Michael Solusan. Admiral Perry is played by Kent Williams. And the narrator is played by R. Bruce Elliott. J. Michael Taylor referred to Sebastian Michaelis in Black Butler and Sir Hamalock in Borderlands. Michael Solusan referred to Kakushu, Kakushu Asano in Assassination Classroom. Ace Tomokami joined the Veldex franchise. Kent Williams referred to Smile Docket in Black. And How to Be Sober in Fruits Basket. And R. Bruce Elliott referred to Sidney Quaits in Bakano. And Michael Roth in Fairy Tale. So, uh. How y'all want to start this discussion? I'll start it off with the narrator. Um, I think Arbus Elliott's narrator is really funny, and I also really like when it's when the narrator breaks the fourth wall, or fourth wall stuff happens to to the narrator. Specifically, the the cosmic string episodes where they all kind of have a different voice. Yeah, yeah, or, basically. Or like, uh, just. There's one part where, like, the ambience things gave it a gave the narrator a laugh track, and that was uncomfortable, and I loved it. Um, yeah, yeah. Arborus Elliott was a fantastic narrator slash god. I feel like he is definitely. I think the thing that works with him is that Arborus Elliott has. I just kind. I don't know if Jet's gonna get this because Jet doesn't watch the Big Fat Quiz of the Year. He very much has Charles Dance reading music lyrics. <laughs> from the big quack quiz uh, energy going on which that is some of the funniest shit 
you'll ever hear. Uh, um, uh, like, it is sometimes... Okay, no, Charles Dance does the film reviews. I'm trying to find out who does the music ones. I think it was John... Not John Snow, uh, John something. I think it was John Snow, I think. Yeah, I think it is John Snow. Ah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I do like our Brutality's performance a lot. Like, honestly, in probably a controversial opinion, I think I would say this might actually be my favorite performance in the dub. And you know what? I can't fault you for that, because as they... Oh, who, who, who said it? Hold on, let me look it up. Yep. I uh, think it was... Sorry. Sorry. I think it was Joel or Zach that said, like, the thing with Space Daddies that there's something for everybody. And so, hey, that was your favorite performance? Go with it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think what works for me with Arbor Sally's performance is that he does a very good job of sounding like very dried and bored in a way that uh, makes him sound like he's just like completely disinterested in like whatever is going on in the story he's narrating. And oh, he's yeah, like, I've seen this shit for so long. Please get me out of here. Yeah, I appreciate how he manages to do that without sounding boring himself. And, like, that's an incredibly tricky thing to pull off and definitely trickier than people get credit for. But he does that really well and it's always funny. Yeah. Yeah, and I especially appreciated how well he manages to keep up the board sounding narration, like, no matter what the mood of any given episode is. And, uh, and how he somehow manages to keep that delivery in, even when he's giving very silly lines, like, bring your bay to Planet Trendy. And the fact that he, like, manages to, like, deliver lines like that while still leading into the very bored narration is just, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, but I think, like, probably, like, one of my favorite parts of his performance was, like, during the whole reveal that he's gone. And then, like, and then, because, like, that is, like, maybe the one time where he breaks him out of boredom when, like, Danny's like, yeah, nah, I'm out. And he's like, wait, no, what are you doing? Stop. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then he inadvertently sets off the big bang, and 14.8 billion years later, here we are. Yeah. Just, like. I just love how it's like, congratulations, you've created a universe when there is no God. Uh, there is no God. And all of us, and Danny was like, okay, cool, bye-bye. But I think, what, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was good, you can go. But I think one of my favorite things was with the Cosmic Strings episode where he's explained all the consistent inconsistencies that happened and because, of course, he's basically a plot device until he isn't. And then he breaks up the last straw for the daddies, which was boobies. I was like, oh, man. Man, the daddy is just... Eat. The one uh, thing that they could all agree on, tits. Boobies. I don't believe that scene predated Skate Infinity, but... <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah... Abuse did, did a pretty great job as the narrator to the point. Okay, so what you don't see view is for some reason I decided to make character guys in the show in case, you know, we don't have a certain understanding of characters like they can't recognize what they look like or something. So for the narrator, I just put a picture of Abuse Elliot. <laughs> I think I'll cut that. I mean, it works. It works, yeah. Because there's no way he could be one of the birds. 
But boy, this points if you know I had to call back to. <laughs> hey, it's, it's fun because I on the last episode of commentary, uh, you get to hear the ladder three talk, uh, Kent Williams, J. Michael Tatum, and uh, Michael Sosa, to which I'm gonna, we should probably go to Kent next because his Admiral Perry, it's not always a very deep, but I like the effect that he took, the reverb effect he took to his voice. Yeah. I, it had been a hot minute since I seen this show, and I, it took me a while to remember because he was only one seat. That, that, that 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 is actually not his true form because he's just been using app. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm gonna say this. I think Admiral Perry's been a VTuber the whole time. Oh, oh, ah, uh, man, that's gross. That's actually not where I was going. That's actually not where I went with that. I was thinking more like a Wizard of Oz scenario where it's just kind of like there. Yeah, not look behind the curtain. They they <laughs> did. Yeah, they did mention that in the commentary. That's it. But also, if you think about it, when you they approaching the the Go Go Space Force on the whole on the whole planet on the whole satellite, it kind of reminded me of the Emerald City from the Wizard of Oz. And mm. I, and again, I thought that was very apt too. So, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, the performance is a lot of fun. Like I was saying before, he just does a very good job of that, like a very like kind of mean uh, cartoon villain of the week boss where. Is that where his job is especially just to be in the background, like punishing his minions for being stupid, and uh, to get really just a really good job of deciding, like constantly irritated. He's also stingy as fuck. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah. They're like straight up only to destroy a planet so he doesn't have to return a library book. Yeah, uh, just also then also like just him getting mad about the expenditure reports. And Jell's like, you stingy bitch. He's like, what'd you say? Because <laughs> yeah, uh, I think at one point, yeah, he tried to blow up a plan for the library book. He borrowed for Dr. Jell, to which, shout out to Britt April in that episode, if, even if I can't remember it anymore. You know? Yeah, what, what were you talking about? Space Dandy. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> Yeah, but no, seriously, like, that episode is pretty cool, pretty unique, and of course, this is like, so which we'll never see again. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> he just wanted to blow up a whole freaking planet because of a li overdue library book. I mean, I mean, I've seen people go to worse troubles for library book and sitcoms, but come on. Sometimes you just want to avoid a fine. You'd rather look fine than pay a fine, you know? And then there was the other time where he gets on a Dr. Joe's case about uh, something he bought recently, which it turns out an invention B had was a device he bought, which was, it plays sick beats, but in the process it fires missiles at the same time. Yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was great. Yeah, it's very great. To I think uh, I think Kent does a good job being like that over demanding boss and Perry. Like it's it he's kind of the person I thought would be that character. Yep. Oh, it's just so sweet. 
uh, I was gonna try to transition to either be or Doctor Joe, but I don't know which one y'all want to go with because, oh boy, I um, I feel like there probably would be only fair to say Doctor Joe for last. Yeah, B is. I like Micah's tone as B because I think this is another one of those like Micah had been an established actor for a while. And he had been in a lot of stuff, and I remember this being kind of like a big tsunami thing for him. Uh, though I think Soul Eater was tsunami at one point, was it not? Uh, yeah, Soul, yeah. Leader, Soul Eater did get out through tsunami eventually, but it took a while. Was it before or after Space Dandy? Uh, I honestly do not remember. Okay. I, I'm going to say it was probably before Space Dandy, because I remember watching Soul Eater when, after I got out of college. I was like... 2012 around okay okay but uh i like his tone for b being uh being being this kind of like weird higher register for micah and i don't think they used an effect on his voice but he very much he very much came off as the oh no i am so small please don't hurt me call an ambulance but then at the end not for me yeah uh, also, oh. yeah, uh, yeah, uh, also, we, also, I checked out a curiosity. Soul Eater was uh, 2013. Uh, okay, so it was like a year before, a year after this. So uh, people but, knew who he was, but like, um, I think it's just, I thought his, by the way, his death screens at the end of episode 26 for choice. Uh, um, yeah. I think that the reason why Mike's performance works is because he is so pathetic sounding most of the show. Because B is uh, B is a spy, so B has to sound like whoopsie doodle. He kind of has dandy. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can tell that this is a guy who's just like very clearly not being paid enough to like put up with any of this, and he's just kind of very tired of being pushed around by his mean bosses. So as soon as he gets a chance to betray them, so so. Like- <laughs> You guys want to know the interesting thing about B? So, apparently, when they were auditioning for him, uh, Zach came across him in the hallway one time. I guess he was probably doing Soul Eater at the time. And just approached him all of a sudden. And then pulled him into a room out of nowhere. Kind of a similar process. I want to say it's a similar process to Tatum, where he did Black Butler or Quayle, whichever one of the shows he did that he was tricked into. So basically, they pulled him into this room, and they looked at him, I guess. He and Joel got together and just kind of examined his voice and asked him to audition for the show. At which point, he was scared <laughs> until, until they let him know that they wanted him to audition for the show, which he did. Come he into this there. room with me. Why?! <laughs> and, and of course he got the part but what she didn't know was uh, apparently the whole thing with episode 26 not only the cast but the crew it, itself hit the twist for both Tatum and Micah because <laughs> good <laughs> shit that's great because <laughs> on part yeah because on the not only the commentary but Daddy Guy in Space Part 2 he mentions that uh you know, they were always on the ball and everything, just go, go with the flow as is. They didn't know what, the show, what was going to happen with the show until they received the last script for the last episode. 
and they decided to just like hide this little secret from him. God bless them. Ah, oh, that's great. <laughs> And it's funny because he himself said that he made a joke in season one. Hey, wouldn't it be would be wouldn't be nice if B like had this little twist, like he was like a bad guy that he's and everything. And then they got that script and they're like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> to the to the point, to the point <laughs> you to the point he's screaming in the booth. Zach recorded him, he's screaming in the booth. They had got they caught this on video and I took a video of it just to I'll show you after recording. They took video of it. Joe's down in the other hall. He hears Micah screaming. He's like, so he's recording for Space Daddy? And he's like, yeah, everybody do. Everybody fucking do. <laughs> That's basically what <laughs> at that point. Same with Tater, but I'll save that for what we talk about it. But I thought I could definitely handle that and twist very well. You know, because one of the things about with actors that they have to do when it comes to dubbing is cold reading because... They don't get the script to the day of. They don't know what's going on. Well, usually they would like to research to know what's going on with the character, but since this was a newer process, you know, they also it was an original. I think it was kind of an original. It was. God, I hope so because I've seen. I read there's also a manga adaptation, but I'm hoping that came out after the show. That That's, was uh, show. Uh, uh, this is original. Yeah, I think it was okay. definitely. Yeah, it was definitely rich. What am I saying? God, like I'm talking out of my ass, but anyway, yeah, Micah did a very good job. Not only portraying this public character who's unassuming, even though he's self-aware at times, but that, but having to play off that twist too very well. It's like culture shock. So when you were talking about, uh, when you were talking about uh, Tatum getting tricked or tricking in the booth. I thought you were going to mention the time that apparently he played a trick on uh, Ian Sinclair and just dropped his pants. Like, he went into his underwear and they walked down the hall and got a drink together and walked back and Ian never noticed until they got back and then he screamed or something. Oh, God. Uh, I think that's what that story is. Anyway, uh, back to back to B. Yeah, Michael is very impressive. He was very on the ball, especially with the little twist, because much like Joker, he definitely didn't see that coming. But uh, mm. I haven't been said. Are we good to go out to Tatum now? Oh, or, yeah. Okay, because like I said, they hit the twist without only Michael, but from Tim as well, because Taylor, while he's a gifted scientist and public villain, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of dandy. He uh, did not see that twist coming when he gets shot the last episode. I think at one point he pulled the scene of Robinson and wanted to do more lines to give death takes to that scene because, oh man. Uh, ah, yeah, that was great. But yeah, in general, Dr. Joe is just a lot of fun. Very much so. Yeah, so much so that when he saw the twist coming, I think he beat on his chest like an ape. And he's like, oh, typecast. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, I appreciate that uh, yeah, Michael Taylor does a really good job of making Dr. Jail have very boisterous and confidence into, like, you know, he is supposed to be a genius. He is supposed to be a genius, and he very much thinks he is. Uh, but he also does a good job of telling the reality that, like, that, like most of our main cast, he pretty much only has one brain cell, and that cell is fixated on either capturing Dandy or, like, being obsessed with science. 
And neither of those things ever ends well for him. I, still I love the, I think one of my favorite moments with him is when uh, it's the, I think it's the episode with Ukulele Man. Where oh, they're the, the river of time thing, the river of time thing. And he just has that mama moment and then the vision of his mom beats the shit out of him. Oh, that was great. Yeah, that was fun. Just Tatum's delivery of mama. She had a stern hand, but she raised me into the man I am. Yes, although the missing link to the universe is not boobies, no matter what you're saying, Joe. That library episode was fun. I just wish I could remember it. As, uh, yeah, I also just deliver. I just appreciate like the fact that he was like very exasperated delivery, where like he and B are like going between dimensions during that whole like uh, multi dimension episode, where that, where like they where like they finally think they've broken free of the two D of the one D dimension, and like oh we're about to go to a zero dimension. It's like wait zero, <laughs> they just like turned into a line. That was uh, great. That episode was fun because it was just basically their ship kept playing Space Invaders. Uh, oh yeah. And then, like when they're in the 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 first dimension, they're only the sound waves, which was really good too. I don't know. Yeah. So beautiful. So. Look at that. That that episode was very fun. I uh, said like and it was like a platform. It was not only a platform for. New way to dub, but it was also a platform for a lot of other actors who we would see become bigger names later on. Because I remember that was Morgan LeRae as the 4D device. Oh, oh yeah, that was. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I was just imagine in general that it had to be like an incredibly fun episode to animate. <laughs> yeah, the animation kind of breaks your brain sometimes because I think they said in the commentary that. Uh, some guy, some guy on the Japanese staff gets a gets a job of deciding all the background aliens for the show. Not one single design was rejected. But, uh, oh wow! Wow! <laughs> I I swear, if y'all get the Blu-ray, the commentaries are. A ton I of fun. do have the Blu-ray. I just need to go through the behind-the-scenes features on it, unfortunately. When you when you get the time, please do, because. Oof. The things I could talk about, but, but we can't afford to be here all night. We gotta keep moving. So, uh, we're gonna finish up the rest of the podcast here with a couple of red hot love interests. Let's put it that way. We have Honey, who's a waitress at Boobies, but apparently looks can be deceiving. We just figured she was blonde and she just loves to have more fun. And it turns out she's smarter than she looks. She is half Cloudyid, descended from a race of Cloudyids. Her real name is Lady Nova. She just works part-time with boobies for what reason? We don't know. But we also learned that she loves wrestling, too. And we have our polar opposite, Scarlet, who's, red, who's a red-haired lady who works the alien registration center. You figured she'd have everything put together, but we find out she really kind of does it. She's very skilled in martial arts, as we learned through the Trendy episode, which we found out that uh, she and Daddy have a mutual interest. Uh, 
props to whoever thought it was slight to put a Chuck Norris reference in there. Missing in action? Come on. Mm. Not only that, they got uh, Brian Massey to play the Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren reference. Yeah, I was going to say. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, so... She comes to realize she has a little bit of feelings for Daddy. Not only after the cloudy episode, which she kind of sees sweat dripping off his body, you know. And that's what dripping all over her body. Sweat dripping off. <laughs> anyway, she also... <laughs> She also kind of falls into the stupid when she just has to has to pretend to be her boyfriend to get uh, Dolph off his off her back, which it worked out very well and very not. Dolph did end up with a restraining order of ten thousand parsecs, but it also seemed like there was a bit of a missed opportunity between Scarlet and Daddy at the end, to which they kind of make up later towards the uh, towards the end of the series. Which I to which I they will fight a universe just to get their daddy. Yeah, they just they're just like, well, might as well go get his ass. Yeah, <laughs> and then he's like, "You all risked your life for me. I don't want you to risk them anymore." But uh, but playing these two, Honey is played by Alexis Tipton, and Scarlet is played by Colleen Clinkybeard. Alexis Tipton, you've heard this Kumi Tokisaki, Data Life, and Kaguya Shinobi and Kaguya Sama Love is War. Kali Clickingbeard, you've heard this as a Scarlet Fairy Tale and Learn of Borderlands. Yes, I went for the redhead, so sue me. Yeah. And they also And they also both play Mocha and Rosario and Vampire. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh yeah. Oh. I oh I forgot Colleen one of the Mochas. How many mochas does it take to make a mocha? Ah, uh, at some point someone to make a Rosario plus Vampire reboot, like... Yeah. Like, like, like that manga goes in surprising directions. Once, once that time comes, hopefully that time will come, but as for right now, this reference is kind of apt to these two, because, you know, you got the, I guess essentially the blood one, who's in love with the main character, and then you got the tough badass one who Kind of lets her guard down eventually, but you know, just you just puts on a strong foot. But at the end, you know, yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, uh, it's funny you say that because I am. What do you say that? Because I'm pretty good. Because I'm convinced that Honey either like doesn't realize that he has a thing for her, or just like very suddenly ignoring him. She's just she's just choosing to fuck with him, <laughs> like. <sighs> To me, Alexis's honey has the vibes of the high society girl who is just working at a, a a job for the sake of learning about how like the normal world works. Uh, I think I think you're almost on the money because in the episode 19 commentary, uh Alexis kind of spotted the idea. Hey, what if maybe Honey was just like. Working boobies while trying to pay for college and that kind of thing. The, the idea kind of floated about, but uh, she learned that uh, talking to her. Okay, so here's the thing. After the show had aired, the next year at 8 Fest, a lot of the Japanese staff from Space Daddy came and visit. And one of those staff members was Daisato, who apparently comes to Texas a lot for the conventions, I learned. They said that the idea came about the local Twin Peaks, you know. Again, 
Shout out to Twin Peaks. Hello. So <laughs> you so you're not too far off from that, Megan. I, I was gonna say, you know what Alexis's performance gives me vibes of? What? She's fucking Elle Woods working at the Hooters. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Because, like, I appreciate that while she is, like, seemingly framed as, like, the blonde bimbo, and she's kind of, like, a little ditzy on the surface. Uh, since Dandy, since, as we mentioned before, Dandy, QT, and Mia only have, like, one brain cell between them, she's consistently smarter than them in pretty much all of their interactions. And by default, probably smarter than every main character in the show, except probably Scarlet. I guess you could say she has two brain cells. She's working with the full. She's playing with the full deck, man. Oh, yeah, yeah so like, she's definitely playing with a full deck. Oh, like I, she, I, she's explicitly even smarter than than Gel in them. Uh, yeah, as I mean, by the fact that when they capture her, like she just frees herself, which is great. And super. I, I, yeah, I would like to think that maybe Cloud is like physically strong at some point. I really hope that Gel is a lightweight because that that episode I too was pretty fun to watch. She basically suplexes Dr. Joe and tries to escape from the ship, but it's like... <laughs> I don't know. It's, just, it's, kind of, it's kind of absurd, but at the same time, it's kind of fun. It's beautiful. Especially at the end when they have that uh, little, that little like, long dramatic scene with uh, the two Cloudies and the waves <laughs> dropping between each other. Cause I remember Carly and Alexis says that uh, maybe the, that possibly the artists like to poke fun at those kinds of scenes, which is why that happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, I'll admit it was pretty funny that like during the multi dimension episode where like they're about to go into the two D two D dimension, and she's like interested. She's like interested in the prince because like you know she's like, oh hey, I can get a man who's like royalty. She finds out she, and she finds out that he's just like a square. She's and like then- no. Oh. What was it? Why try hard when you can just marry into royalty and that's how you get rich? Yeah. I was like, there's a woman after my heart. Yeah. And it's, and it's kind of funny because back in the early days, you usually see Alexis play this kind of typecast, but when you get to know Alexis, you know she's kind of a different person. So they're going to play as this kind of typecast was very charming. And I know. What was it? Uh, oh yeah, they were talking about like a uh, when they first started this project, like how they were excited, how Carly and Alexis were excited to see a uh, uh, real t- uh, fan reaction in real time because you know they're always kind of worried about like when they would play these kind of characters. Because another thing I found out about the show is that apparently a lot of these episodes were recorded. Not only the same time as the Japanese, but out of order as well. So, like, if one performance differed from another episode, that's kind of why. Ah, so, yeah. So, of course, obviously, we know where you're going. It's too late to know that. But, yeah, I thought for what it was worth, I did a very good job. And, God, I hope someday they decide to continue it, but... Only time will tell. Honestly, if they if they never made more space dandy, I would actually be okay with it because I think the show ended like in the best way it could have. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so that having been said, uh, I really like Carly this Scarlet because 
Yes, it's a ginger-haired character. Yes, she played another person named Scarlet. Where well, you get that? But what I find, but what I find interesting about all this is that she says that uh, she, because you've heard, if you ever heard Carly's normal voice, it's like, you know, it's, you can kind of sense the geek in her. She said that uh, Scarlet, she had to play her voice exaggeratedly sexy, like you know, kind of like deep tone, that kind of thing. But mind you, this was pre One Piece, so. You don't get a lot, of, you don't hear as much of the husk as, from her as you do nowadays, so. Uh, that's because, of course, Luffy took a toll on her voice after a while, but for pre-One Piece, Colleen Clinky Beard, is, it was definitely very entertaining, I'll give her that. I mean, she's little for Borderlands. That was probably one of the reasons I got into anime in the first place, because... When I found out who played her, and I started watching anime, I was like, oh yeah, I, I'm definitely going to love Carly Clinton, because she's a very, not only a very good actor, very good director, too. Like, mm -hmm. I like yeah, no, oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. No, you can go first. You're I watching like, up your thoughts. I like how she has this kind of self-awareness where she just, like, played around with what goes on in the show, because she, in the commentary, she talks about, like, how Alexis kind of portrays honey, even though that's, even though we all know it's not what Alexis is like as a person. I mean, Alexis is a horror fan. She describes honey's working as some type of restaurant waffle house, to which Katie might be an R and a cringe at the same time. <laughs> what a restaurant waffle. I mean, if you think about it, if you're drunk enough, a waffle house can be a restaurant. <laughs> Uh, that is an experiment, experiment I am not willing to try. So, uh. Don't worry, somebody else out there has probably done it for you. Uh. No, so for me, I think the, the best part about Colleen as Scarlet is that it is so much more mature. It, it is the most mature sounding character in the show because Scarlet is the most mature character in the show. And I genuinely think the best part about her Scarlet performance is that she is able to get out the pathos that Scarlet comes to emit. Because Scarlet could have easily just been a character that never really went anywhere. Or she was just like this one-off bitchy character. But instead, yeah. she turned out to be a genuine love interest, and I do think the de the date episode where she's being stalked is one of the best episodes that happens in the show. Uh, so I really applaud Colleen, and I really love the part where they both realize they're like basically into shitty Van Damme movies <laughs> together. And it's like, oh man, is animated version of him just as badass as real life? Oh hell yeah, it is. And that's why I, I really wanted to tear up when he misses her at the bar. And it's very clear they're like in love with each other, but he they they missed out because the way things went. Uh, I also really like the the first time you meet Scarlet, how no nonsense she is and and beating up all the shit with the ramen. Oh. So like, I don't know if this is one of my overall favorite Colleen's of all time, but this one was really really good. Oh. Yeah, and that's 
and that's another thing too, because they said on the commentary, it was basically like you kind of inverse the stereotypes because you have Honey who's kind of just like a free spirit, but really, really what you look at it, it's like she got her life together in that in that one episode. And then you look at Scarlet, who you think she has her life together, but over time, you, it kind of just breaks down, and you realize it's just a facade. Especially when, especially when Fred takes her out to a uh, mixer. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I thought that Colleen was really great at making Scarlet just sound like very <laughs> exhausted and overworked, and which pretty much just makes her the most consistent, consistently relatable character in this show. It's just she's just like constantly putting up with Danny and go just like. General incompetence as alien hunters, which is always funny. And I did like that. I did appreciate that similar to how do we do kind of see like various sides of her over the course of the show, like how like fighting off the robots in the Robin episode, or like getting drunk at a party to forget about her love life. And Colleen got all that across really well. And yeah, I, and yeah, I really did like her delivery during like the whole fake dating daddy episode. And how like per how like Scarlet kind of like topped up a bit when he went from being rightly annoyed with Danny to realizing that he might have more in common as he ever would have thought and is kind of falling for him. You kind of wish that it worked out, but you know, this isn't that kind of show when uh definitely made a ending to that episode hit with a pretty hard disc reality. So uh mm -hmm. yeah. Uh but I did appreciate that uh, even when it's that even though things between her and Danny didn't work out. But it seems her dad and Danny was revealed to be the 14th agent from Evangelion and putting the whole universe at risk. He was so willing to go out and save him. Mm-hmm. Basically. Uh, much like that, the Eva, I think we're good to move on. Mm. Okay, so this episode's going to be a little different as you've already seen. So what we decided to do with the content this time around Space Spadandy is more or less an anthology series. It's uh, basically a series of stories that may or may not intertwine in some way. I mean, it's not really connected until it is, as you see with the episodes later on. So, as a result, Jet Megan and I decided to come up with a, a few characters to, I guess, pad out this episode, basically. Turn different stories. We're going to go through chronologically, talk about these characters. Starting with... Ah, yes. Phantom Space and Ramen Baby. Uh, episode 2. Uh, Daddy is on... Danny and Meow are on the hunt for this uh, Phantom Space Ramen from this rare aliens never been seen before. They tour this... They tour a multitude of ramen shops across the galaxy until they come across this world... This one greasy one that apparently Meow realizes that they might have the perfect space ramen. <laughs> and it mm -hmm. turns out it came through a wormhole. So they travel through said wormhole and we discover that it's an old man running this tiny ramen shop exporting his doodles across the galaxy. We kind of come to find out that what makes the his ramen perfect is his salty tears. Which I know there might be a meme to be had, but not about a person that is as good natured as this one, even if he did come from a bad background at first. To which, had to find a gal, you got in trouble for murdering somebody where it was, you accidentally burned your own, your old girlfriend trying to light a matches. Both hilarious and sad. Mm. 
Yeah. And then we have episode 3. <laughs> Where the Aloha always on the hunt for this uh, deadly space alien. They come across this planet. And they are surrounded by a whole bunch of these great looking aliens who they thought was trying to kill them. Meanwhile, they chase down this girl. Like, I guess it had to be... I don't know why they said they had to have a fast service episode. That's what Boobies is for. Oh no, they needed a fan service episode to prove that deep down, if it looks super hot and way too good to be true, it'll probably kill you. <laughs> and kill yeah. and try to do, because as we learned, uh, Mamita's here is a uh, Defgarian, who is a uh, number one ranked species on things I would not want to eat, get eaten by. Also kind of proves that that whole, uh, that whole rating system is bullshit with Tsunami. Why couldn't you put God of Fashion like, Don't tell me you couldn't air episode one because of the boob tit monster. As a, you uh, did that with Space Daddy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> as I, as I, I mean, not being able to boobs was the reason they kept saying they couldn't do Fujiko Mide. So, where is it, guys? Where is it? I mean, oh. we, we watched Taz and Jaffe Batista bomb a titty monster for God's sakes. Come on. You've got a Batista bomb the titty monster every Yeah, unfortunately that didn't happen here. What happened is they uh, battled the monster with some kind of uh, transforming They robot. regular bombed it. <laughs> uh, no, it was more like a food bomb. Yeah, but all food more than But I like the fact that that thing didn't really die. It just kind of shrunk into a smaller size. And then they and then they give it and then they gave it to uh, Scarlet. Yep, but for every crazy story, there's also, I guess, kind of a sad truth. We have episode five, a big companions, a big companion in space, baby. Uh, ooh, we get to Adelie, Adelie. I mean, yeah. she's the uh, rare Gen two and. That the Eloha always searching for. After they not ended the process, they end up getting the ship towed. So Daddy has to hack on the Galaxy Express with Adelie in tow to try to register the alien registration center in order for a little coin. Along the way, uh, you know, Felix develop and uh, they kind of have a heart to heart in a parent daughter relationship. Kinda Dandy becomes a daddy. Mm. Space Daddy. Uh, but the thing we learned most about Adelie is that she has the power to transfer people's consciousness into stuffed animals. I guess as a defense mechanism. Because she did that to Daddy twice, but her power only lasts uh, 666 seconds. Oddly specific. I thought it was 666 minutes. Nope, it's seconds. Okay. And she kind of used this power to the point she embarrassed some previous bounty hunters who come try to steal her away. And she is rescued in the end by her grandfather. Well, as it turns out, Daddy wasn't out hunting boobies all night. He was just trying to find her family. So, you know, Danny has a little bit of a caring side. You just don't see it this often. What you do see is this mean streak, though, where he gets involved in the race 
And he ends up coming across the number one space racer in the galaxy, Prince. <laughs> I kind of like how they introduced him, because Honey thinks that she's welcoming... Daddy thinks that Honey's welcoming him back. She's like, oh, you came! Yeah, baby, I came today. I came yesterday. Best believe I'll come tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it turns out Prince is... Uh, he looks like to be he looks to be pretty boy on the outside, but really though, know, kinda gets aggravated because of Daddy's tactics to the point that his whole team's kinda scheming to take him out. Even that little pip squeak mouse played by Tyson Reinhardt. Uh I was like, uh it's always nice when Eddie's series get to take a swing at the mouse. Yes. <laughs> yeah, basically. Copyright straight this motherfuckers. <laughs> oh man, the way that episode ended is like Okay. Uh, that is definitely one way to have a gay way, man. <laughs> oh yeah, he basically he basically gay awakens the dandy so hard it destroys the universe. You know, happy Pride Month. Um. Ooh, man. I'm, ooh, that does start a couple of days, doesn't it? Ooh, that does. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyway, sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. But then we get back to Daddy's character in the ep next episode, where he discovers a plan for a drug, and comes across a little, a little pup. Well, the pup didn't have a name, called, but he called his uh, Precious Upside Down uh, Coconut Pie, or Pup for short. Turns out Pup was abandoned long ago on the planet, to the point that kind of feels so much sadness that his body can't take no more. It's a, implied that uh, it's implied that it's Laika, the first dog put in space by the Russians. It is. I was like, damn, they made they made a reader reference before that even existed. I was like, holy shit. Okay, show of hands, who turned up at the episode? Uh, I own dogs, so yes. Uh, the, I didn't tear up, but Danik was very sad. Oh, I teared up like motherfuckers. <laughs> and then her fleas attacked. Uh. I was going to say, rest in peace to the writer of that episode. That would be yeah. uh, Keiko, Ke no, uh, Keiko Nobumoto, Nobumoto. Yeah. who is also the creator of Offstray and the other really sad dog show. Matthew, rest in peace. She also created one of the most fun episodes in Space Dandy World, Way to Go Out. Mm. Well, we'll get to that later. We'll play these five. Uh, the old ramen shop owner is played by Grant James. Bobby turns to Death Gary and is played by Trina Nishimura. Adele is played by Jade Saxton. Prince is played, Prince is played by Eric Vale. Ed Pup is played by Caitlin Glass. Grant James, you've heard it's Tokyo and How. It's Sirius and the Bardo O. Trina Nishimura, you've heard it's Mikasa and Attack on Titan. And Kyo Kyoka Jiro and My Hero Academia. Jade Saxon, you've heard of Saki ha Harajima in Fruits Basket 2019. And Chika Fujiwara in Kaguya Sama Love is War. Eric Vale, you've heard of Keiichi Kanajo in Bugata HK. And Yuki Soma in Fruits Basket. And Caitlin Glass. Come on. Do I need to say anything? She's Wendy Rockbird for Male Alchemist and Mina Ashido in My Hero Academia. So. I think it's safe to say. I think uh, honestly, the section's gonna go really fast because yeah. 
Uh, as much as there are a lot of episodic characters, some of these episodes also don't have a ton of dialogue. Yeah. Um, like, especially, I like, I loved Caitlin Glass's pop. Just the, for the short amount of voice work that she got to do in it, because yeah. they, they, the train, her, she's so old that the translator can't even, like, really understand her. I just really loved how, like, very much she played the I am a good dog, yes, and just in such a short time, she just brought so much emotion. I loved everyone's reaction in that episode, like Joel and um, and Ian, especially Joel jumping on her and being like, "I want to play with her too." Oh, that was so and sad. it's just such a, it's such an, it's such like a, uh, if you've ever lost a pet type episode, it'll hit. Um, it is the Marley and Me episode of the show, if oh. you catch my drift. Oh, God. Um, it is also very telling that episode two, uh, which was one of my other favorite episodes, Grant James is the old ramen shop owner, gets also a very small amount of time. Yeah. But he really gets into your heart with the story of how he is just on this on this uh, planet by himself because he he believes that he has no place after killing the woman that he loved. Yeah. And I love the whole fact that he decided to go mope on Earth and that's where he found ramen and learned to enjoy it. Also, shout out to that episode being uh, done by Sayo Yamamoto. Yeah. A fucking, a, a real fucking queen. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's always great with Sayo Yamamoto does things. Yeah, I mean, she revived an entire franchise, and now she's in jail because Mappa is fucking awful. Um, yeah, 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 that, yeah. Fear Mappa, please, or you know, just Mappa, or you know, Mappa, just let her go to Bones and do whatever she wants. It worked pretty fucking well for Bones. Yeah, damn it. Like, <laughs> yeah, just let her go back to Bones. Um, but I think Grant really got the the pathos out of everybody with him as the old ramen shop owner and it was just very touching uh eric vale playing the really pretty guy is about the most eric vale thing that they could have done oh oh absolutely that is oh yeah that is oh yeah no like there's a long time where eric vale's stereotype was being the really pretty dude yeah that is exactly where you would type that's eric vale and it's it's beautiful he just does a really good job of making that guy just sound very very protect, very pretentious, but very. in a fun way. And then he realizes, "Oh my god, I'm racing! I'm racing so well." They, he basically gets to do gay redline. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. To which, yeah, to which uh, this episode was not quite as well animated as redline, but it was so pretty cool looking. Yeah, and they, you know, just Dandy gets sent into the future where he's the booty sasa, but so yay. Um. I think Eric does a really good job there. Trina as Mamantis. I hope she got to do all the gross animal noises too. Oh, I Because that was really funny. And I love that they got her to play this like cutesy girl who just, you know, ends up eating meow. And then they just leave her in there. Uh, And then Jade Saxon was fantastic as Adele. Um, this is kind of the stuff that I think Jade Saxon acting-wise has made her bread and butter on, is these kind of tsundere characters. 
And I, I genuinely think that that is the cutest episode of the show. Just Dandy and her hanging out with each other. Kind of could have, like, you know, had it without the whole, like, when you grow up and get hot, you can be on my ship stuff. But yeah, I think that yeah. Jade Jade really helped to carry that episode. And it was one of the strongest acted episodes in the whole show. Oh, yeah. It was to the point that even some of the crew were kind of tearing up on that episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was a pretty good one. Uh, it reminded me a lot of uh, Jade's performance as Hodgkin and Michiko and Hodgkin. I was going to say oh, that, but yes. I've never actually seen Michiko and Hodgkin. Oh, oh, I have. Oh, 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 one of these days we are definitely going to fix that. Yeah, I know. Mm. It, we have to bring Noah along for the ride, otherwise he would be very angry at us. Ooh, I have an idea for me, but I'll save that for later. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I did like that. I did like all of these a lot. Yes, uh, but as I, uh, as I, especially, as I, uh, well, yeah, well, Jay's definitely said out of this group. I would say, like, he definitely gets like the most uh, dramatic episode to work with, and that's fun, and that's. Uh, pretty solid time, but I think he does a great job there. Then the rest of these are just all like generally uh, pretty fun or like somber in the creates of Grant James, where uh, where like Meg was saying, you know, he had to play as I he had to play this guy who's just kind of like been through, kind of like been through a lot, and it's just kind of like sucking this like sucking in this space now, and it's it's and, and he's kind of like sad and lonely, but also just kind of like content with being where he is, and he did Grant James got across, like, how sad that is really well. And then Eric Vale, again, just being Eric Vale, really, really fun as Prince. I think we got a really good kick out of how well he switched between, like, going from being incredibly pompous to being like, oh, hey, you know, this any guy's not half bad, and then at the end, like, oh my god, Danny, I love you, and then, like, the universe explodes. Yeah. And that kit would just made me very sad as pop. Uh, yes, I guess going with that, uh, yeah, Caden Glass. Caden Glass, she's a very good actress. I know she usually sees the, she's a glass half full kind of person, but that episode just kind of made me sit up in ways I couldn't believe. Also kind of reminded me of an anecdote on Connie Clickerbeard's Twitter where she mistaken uh, something she said and thought that Ka- Caitlin was dead when really she's just missing her own fruits basket so much. I'll link you the tweet if y'all want later, but uh, there was just a whole misunderstanding. But uh, yeah, Caitlin did very well for that episode. Even though, yeah, that it's funny that episode was about the pup the whole time. And they kind of, the credits kind of did it dirty by listeners and extra. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <sighs> Dog was the most important part of the episode. Hey, I'll give a damn about Dave Trosco and Scott Freeman's fleas. They, that, that whole episode was Caitlin Glass and you know it. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, yeah, admittedly, the flea party episode kind of lost me. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like they ma- not like it matters. They got questioned, and the whole plan just went kaboom. Uh, let's see, uh, Eric Vilas, but I I was kind of surprised 
Well, now I'm kind of surprised because, of course, back then he was casting as pretty boys. Now he's casting thick assholes. So I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, those can those can be one of the same more often than not. So uh... that that depends. <laughs> on the, that depends that's on that's the that's not a Venn diagram. That's just a circle. That's <laughs> on the show. <laughs> But yeah, that and the fact he is a gay awakening at the end of the episode, and then poof, he just disappears, never to be seen again. Uh, Don't worry, he's fine. Out there, nutting to the end of eternity. Speaking of nutting, uh, Trina Nishibura is the boob monster. Ah, uh, man. That was a, that was a transition. <laughs> so uh. much so, I think I've seen gifts of that scene. You didn't say much, but what she did, it was kind of like, yeah, you could definitely tell it's a trap. You, you even have to, you even have to sell me on the plot or the plots. Uh, yeah, to which I gotta say, like, one of the funniest parts of the episode, like, I love Trees before, but I also love that, like, and, uh, like, uh, Danny and Coach for the whole time, like, getting chased around, like, a bunch of aliens who they think are, like, the actual threat. And then you hear those aliens sound like, and they're just kind of like, oh, you're about to get eaten up in here, and it's just like, it's amazing. The delivery was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like, and it's funny because, like, again, this was like a pre lot. This was like a really old back in the day because you don't hear as much husk in her voice as you do now. This was also around the time I used to confuse her with Leah Clark, but that's a different story. And then we get to uh, Grant James as the ramen shop owner, which uh, it's been a hot minute since I talked about him, but I thought he did pretty well, like just captured the spirit of the episode and the whole ramen thing, because it's like, you know, you consigned yourself to this fate, but you're willing to accept it. It's like, you know what you did, you just, uh, I guess this is your kind of, your way of atoning, I guess. I love that they offered for him to go on the uh, the ship as their chef. That was really sweet. Mm. Yep, and then unfortunately because the antics, they ended up closing the wormhole, so I doubt they ever get to taste that ramen again. And then Meow gets pissed because he didn't get to taste it, but man, it's like, better to have not need than to need to not have. So, and if you're going to be needy about ramen, you shouldn't have it in the first place then. Mm. Also, I like the fact that that episode, they, the Empire just catches up to them because Meow is just sweeting out to every location. Uh, yep. Uh, and this is why you shouldn't post kids. Or if you do, don't post everything. To keep your location off, they can't find you. But I think probably the start of the section is Jade Sachs is Adelie because Adelie, like, like, uh, what uh, Jet said with Beach Court Hachi. Yeah, it, it, it actually kind of starts off a similar way, too, now that I think about it, because Adelie was kind of a brat, but I think she was kind of scared, whereas with Hachi, she was kind of a, she was kind of bratty, but that's because she had to put up in a shitty-ass household in this orphanage in Brazil, which we will discuss that someday, but that's not for this episode. So the fact that they had ended up on this quest together and they start to grow closer to each other as kind of a 
father-daughter kind of thing. It, it, it did impress me, and then, like, even when uh, she thinks that daddy's just gonna abandon her at the end, if, and it's like, nope, that's not exactly the case. <sighs> and then they kind of play off that little friendship thing where, you know, and, no, I want you on the ship, not unless you, like, you have, like, big boobs, that kind of thing, to which there is a piece of art on DeviantArt, but that's not for this episode. I... Like I said, I, w I wish there was some kind of continuation, but I'm fine with the way things ended, even if somehow Daddy did not get his shit back that episode. Again, there's a lot of these stories don't seem intertwined until they do later, but we'll explain why later, but that episode is pretty damn good. Even got Ian in the fields. Yep. And I think we're good to move on here. So, uh, nice. <laughs> oh man, this section. Uh, so, next up we have kind of probably the most interesting section, at least to the last one. But uh, we kind of have a coffee maker that QT ends up falling in love with. To the point he'll do anything for her, even follow her to an abandoned island. Of abandoned appliances. They're not abandoned. They were sent there because they had emotions. Yeah, and the emotions caused a tinker in their system, and then they were recalled, basically. But, you know. Oh, so, uh, that... Oh, sorry. No, I was gonna say, that's AI's for you, but you go ahead. I was gonna say, oh, so basically just that's for a boy. Oh my god. <laughs> I have five memories of the 2003 series, so, uh. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, speaking of robots, uh, we have a little ukulele man who's apparently addicted to daddy's smile to the point he invites him out to his place on this planet that has a. what's called a Pokerovo. Poker. Poro Roco. almost said Pocoroso, but that's a different story. <laughs> the River of Time, basically. Uh, Daddy kind of just shoots him down after he it, he turns his friends into like these... I guess he kind of freezes them in time to like little stick videos, that kind of stuff. He runs away and he's so dissatisfied with Daddy that he's willing to pull an earlier moment in time to where he's smiling. Basically why he's at boobies, our story short. Uh, yeah, uh, you can only be terrifying. Yeah, so apparently when you pull from a moment in time, your present self starts to disappear. And uh, Danny ends up knocking him out to the point he he bursts into flames and disintegrates. All I say is that smile wasn't meant for him anyway. And Danny just said, oh, you're smiling, baby. Uh, you smile, you smiling. Uh. Oh, uh, yeah. Speaking of putting a smile on your face, uh, we end up with the transfer episode because what ep what anim what type of anime doesn't have an episode with a transfer student in it? That's not set in high school. Beverly uh, Hills High. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Uh, of all the things I would I would expect this series of reference, High School Musical was not one of them. High School Musical, and I'm pretty sure we we will rock you by Queen. 
Uh, also, I think nine oh two one oh. Well, yeah. It was High School Musical nine oh two one oh and and Queen. Yeah. So, Daddy decides to transfer to the school uh, because they come across a picture that's very early on uh, Twitter. Yeah, where well, it's this plant that kind of blossoms when it's in love, but they have no idea what it looks like other than just the profile. So he transfers. And it, it, Go and ahead. it ends up being the girl that he takes to prom. Yeah. Uh, uh, which puts why that he like literally never realizes who it is the entire time and forgets all about it. Yeah, he ends up taking this girl to prom. I guess the ends up building her self confidence. Because Daddy states that she has something that the other students don't have. That booty. <laughs> to which, if you ever say that in high school and you're not a transfer student, you can get arrested for that. Speaking uh, of booty, holy shnikes. Uh, <laughs> so the last character we have on our list is uh, Pine Pine. Uh, you're probably wondering who she is. She is basically Scarlet's friend at the, and co-worker at the Alien Registration Center. Kind of brings Scarlet out of the fuck by taking her to a mixer. Santa has, sounds like she has what has to be a, a, a deep enough Bronx accent, like Rosie Perez from White Man Ketchup. And the reason she's kind of on this list, despite being in the episode only, what, five minutes? Is because Jesus Christ, I have never seen that much booty in an anime before. She is by far the most attractive alien in the show. There, I'll say it. She's got the curvy girl look. Hell yeah, ten out of ten. Thank you, Keiko Nobunoto. Mm. <laughs> oh man, Daddy ever actually? Hold on, Daddy went to that mixer for the free food also. But I don't think Daddy he. Did. But I don't think he ever saw her, though. And that's a damn shame, because as we all know, Daddy is a slave to the booty. <clears throat> also, this is probably the most you'll ever hear me say booty in an episode. Booty, 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 rocking everywhere, rocking everywhere. <laughs> rockin everywhere. I was waiting for it. <laughs> oh, I am crazy. Hey, it's my birthday. I'm allowed to be crazy. But played these four. Uh, Makers, played by Christy Kang. Ukulele Mask, played by Bryce Pappenbrook. Feckles is played by Ashley Birch. And Pied Pied is played by Monica Rial. Uh, Christy Kang. This is weird, because I don't think we've ever... Oh, wait, no, no, wait. Fe I was about to say, we have talked about Christy Kang. Dragon Twice. Cry. Dragon Cry, that's what I was trying to remember. Twice. Twice? Thank you. Yeah, she's my she's my favorite character in Surrey Dairy Children. Oh yes, 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 yes. She's a uh, Rico's partner in that. Oh yeah, she's a side brain that's very emotional. She's also Kyoka Kanjo begat the HK. And because I brought Fairy Tale, Leafy McGarden. Best best girl in Fairy Tale. Mm-hmm. Bryce Pappenbrook, you heard this era the attack on Titan. Emikoto Daegi, the Dog and Robert franchise. Uh, Ashley Birch, you for this Sasha. Sasha. Uh, Sa <laughs> Ashley Birch, you for this Sasha Browse, the Attack on Titan, up to season three. 
and by your Yoshida and Steinsgate. Mind can we all? Seriously, do I need to remind y'all? You've heard her. Uh, she's Boba and Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Super. And because we brought up, she's Michiko and Michiko and Hachi. Uh, I, I was gonna say, uh, recently we have learned that Bulma got the Pine Pine upgrade. I was gonna say, I was gonna make a joke that, yeah, if Bulma, Pine Pine is basically if Bulma had cake, and then I went on Twitter this morning. <laughs> and we learned that Toei learned how to bake. Mm hmm. So basically, Bulma's sponge cake, Pine Pine's pound cake. Let's put it that way. I wonder if the guy who hacks. <laughs> Who can, I wonder if the guy who hacked a Toei and caused the delays taught them how to draw an ass. I, I want to say yes, but the problem is it's Toei, so they know how to be consistently inconsistent. So don't expect that ass to last long. So. It's not even going to be consistent in the movie. Um, uh, I'll start this off again. I'll just run these down really quick. Uh, unfortunately, Monica Real Monica Real got to use her big sexy girl voice for Pine Pine, and then Pine Pine disappeared for half the episode. Um, I really loved Ashley Burch's Freckles, who is apparently so homely that she doesn't even have eyes. She has gag anime eyes. But I think she did a really great job singing at the end of that episode, which... God, Space Dandy is the only show... That would make a, a a song that starts off as booty is everything turn into a song about how everything is important because somebody out there loves it. Ah, and in the most great. and it be genuinely sincere. Also, I didn't realize until like her she actually showed up at the prom that Standy was basically running her through extreme kegels. Um, so that she would get a better ass. But Ashley does such a good job there, and she makes her so cute and nerdy. Uh, I'll skip over Ukulele Man and go to Christy Kang as Maker, which she's like the cutest little coffee maker, and that episode is just a masterclass in telling a tragic romance in 30 minutes or less. And I love how her and Alice and Victorin bounce off each other, especially when Alice, uh, when Cutie realizes that Maker's been in love with Register the whole time and not him, even though Cutie gave her the time of her little coffee life. Mm. And I thought that was really sweet. But can we talk about fucking scary ass Bryce? Bryce is the ukulele man. Oh man. <laughs> Like, that is the creepiest I've ever heard Bryce Pappenbrook come off, come at me, Attack on Titan fans. Just, it's so genuinely un unsettling because you can hear the forced smile in his voice and just the sound mixing on how he rattles. It's so good. And I think it's like one of my favorite little like, oh, hey, this is Bryce Pappenbrook and like something being weird that you'll ever get and i also now want people photoshopping you know that photoshop people do of aaron being like kill the child from the newest season of attack on titan someone needs to start photoshopping ukulele man doing that instead <laughs> oh good god <laughs> so yeah uh, i'm done <laughs> if, you're, if you're good uh yeah, I can also be pretty quick with Monica Rial as Pine Pine. 
I thought it was nice. Monica Rial got to use her big girl voice, and it was pretty fun for like, but at that episode she was in, and I enjoyed it. And Ashley Burke as Freckles, and uh, she did, I thought Ashley did a pretty good job of playing like the very uh, kind of stereotypical nerdy girl, and and she did pretty, and she sounded pretty fun with that, and also had a pretty good singing voice, which. Uh, What's uh, what's uh, definitely made the payoff for that whole episode of and that whole song was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, Chrissy, uh, Chrissy King is Baker. I thought she sounded like very, I thought she sounded like very sweet and polite, and I thought she had like a pretty good dynamic with QT throughout that entire episode. Uh, kind, so, uh, kind of, be, uh, kind of doing a good job of like being you and you thinking that like there's some kind of like there's some good romantic chemistry there. And it's like, oh, okay. And it's like, oh, she was involved with the cast register all along. It's like, yeah, that's a pretty appropriate punchline for this show, but it still works somehow. And I thought she did like a pretty good job of kind of telling up like the tragedy of how that all turned out. And and also, you know, kind of wanted to stop the robot revolution. And then, but, and then of course, there is Bryce Pappenbrook as Ukulele Man, which is like, which is, you know, sometimes we take for granted that Bryce Pappenbrook sounds like, I don't want to say like overly similar in a lot of things, but Bryce Pappenbrook is one of those actors where like you can almost always tell it's him, and like, and that's true in this case, but there, but something about this is just works really well in terms of being extremely unsettling. Where like, where like the moment he starts talking to Jukaleli Man, he's like. There's something about this character that's just like not quite right, but you can't tell what it is. And then you find out that oh, he's been like freezing bodies in order to like capture smiles and possess them. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like and he does and he reveals this in like the most nonchalant way possible, which is, which just really adds to it. Just walks out. Hey, I just you know I have these bodies in the backyard. NBD. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was mad. I was like, also, where did Meow and QT come from? Because weren't they on the ship while Daddy was off? So uh, they crashed. I know it crashed, but... I I think they were walking around and Ukulele Man found them, and that's how they, they got caught. Oh, um, God. Uh, but, yeah, but, yeah, uh, he did a really good job of making him sound creepy, and then... Lo- I was like, and then when he like finally reveals his dad to ha- his hand to Dandy, uh, he starts to sound like a little more red hands, but not without like going full ham with it. Which that which in a way is kind of makes it sound even scarier. And so like and then just like the kind of very somber delivery when he's like on fire and he's like, Oh well, I guess I wouldn't have had a good smile anyway. And then he tells him that he's like, Oh no, you have like a great smile. And then like even like as the as like he's being considered, he's like, Oh, Am I really smiling? Like, how does it look? Like, that, like as though he's like generally excited that he's like finally smiling. I also forgot to talk about the sexy capybara lady from that episode. There was a sexy capybara lady. Oh yeah, Lydia Mackey. Yes, the sexy capybara lady. Mm. That are also like eating their, the capybara people who are eating the aloha away at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, but yeah, all these were uh, pretty good performances. Yeah, so Michael, y'all again, she always shows up 
what three minutes or so. I I really like not only is a big girl voice, but it's a <laughs> it's a it kind of has a New York flair to it. Cause I could definitely think that was a Bronx accent for all of a sudden. But but man, like it's not often you see a character like that in anime. You know, just not hentai or anything like that. But uh, she was just impressive, and that's why I had to put her on this list. To which. <laughs> Uh, uh, back to the booty. Uh, Ashley Birch's freckles. <laughs> so Ashley Birch's freckles. Uh, the thing about her was she was kind of unassuming and just shy, kind of. Oh god, I almost walked. Yeah, fucking, might as well get this put out the way. She was kind of a bit of a wallflower. Ah. Uh... I ain't hang out with Andrew too much, so uh, yeah. Yeah, but she was start she was starting to get some self confidence to and she literally blossomed as like I thought Daddy was just build building her up because you know like she needs the she needs to be able to believe in herself, you know. Believe in the daddy that believes in you, that kind of thing. No, it's believe in the booty that believes in you because <laughs> cause all those tight wide girls that just basically have to stick up their ass and also Jesus Christ, Chris Sabbath, there's three of you. And combined, y'all turn into the hole? What kind of nonsense is this? No superpowers allowed on campus. <laughs> Didn't even know that was possible. But as we go further up the list, uh, Christy Kang, I, I, this, this is my first time talking about her. I, I don't get to hear a lot of her often. I don't think I get to hear a lot of her anymore because I think other than what the final season of Fairy Tale, she hasn't really done anything since. Which is a shame because she has the the smooth kind of the, the smooth the soft kind of voice like that really lends itself to uh, being a warrior one. Just have these warrior kind of emotions, you know? Like she's just. Just being nice, just for the sake of being nice. And that's one thing I've always liked about Christy Kang as an actress. Although mm-hmm. there was some other shows <coughs> where she can be kind of uppity, but that's for another day. But stand out on this list is uh, Bryce Pappenbrook as the ukulele man. Because for one, I don't think no, up until Dog and Wampa came out, I don't think nobody expected Bryce to be in a Funimation dub. And for two... Nobody expected him to be the dub is probably one of the most unsettling characters there is. Even though this character is just small and robotic like it's like it's his creepy to me today when he kinda comes through his personality is like But the way Daddy kinda dismisses it is he earned that ire. To the point you kinda realized his uh the ukulele man's true intent. But you know, at least he died with a smile on his face. That's all I can say. Yeah, man. Well, we're almost done with this anthology, and I think we got about three, four more characters to go here. Alright, so. I'm rounding out uh, part of our anthology series. Remember, this is a, just a small selection, but this is a good selection here. Uh, we have. Wait. Are we are we good to move on? I forgot to ask. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. Yeah, even though it's my birthday, I still have to be a Curry's host, you know. You're good. 
But if I got a little anthology here, <laughs> we have Johnny, uh, inspiring musician who has a secret. He is the commander of the Jaiko Empire. The it's basically rich and powerful, get anything he wants, but what he decides most is to be in the bed. He comes across Daddy in this restaurant in the bathroom as he's humming this song he heard from a guitarist the boobies. And then the two break out to a fight. <clears throat> I think Johnny was kicking his ass, to be honest. And then they decide, they, they, they apparently become great friends over rounds of beers. Uh, it decides to form a band with him. It's him, the uh, him, and the Aloha Oi. They form the Dropkicks. <laughs> yeah, that's a very apt name. The Dropkicks, which had only one single, and at their first gig they performed that song so too damn long to the point the manager threatened to throw them out, and then they caught the attention of a record producer. All in all, while Johnny's discovered life. Liberty and the pursuit of French fries. I'm sorry, fried potatoes. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about that episode is not only his interactions with Daddy, but the fact the conversation they're having at Boobies and Honey's just laid out on the table like Daddy's just by her ass. That's the close. That that also had some nippies showing. That definitely had some nippies showing. At one point, I couldn't tell if Meow was looking at his beer. Look at their tits. <laughs> and then things come to a blow when uh, he's about to invade the Gogo Empire, but did, did not want to give up his dreams of performing on stage. And then, uh, let's say Daddy inadvertently stopped the space war from happening. I did do. Yes. But what happens next, that's what Daddy wants to find out in the next episode where he ends up in a world without sadness. He is uh, greeted by this strange creature named Ferdinand, who takes him on a tour of this planet. It, only t it doesn't take him long until he looks at a spring well full of water that uh, he doesn't realize he's dead. How, you may ask? Well, you see, he and the Aloha Oi got caught up in a black nebula. And the result accidentally banged his head on the warp drive panel. So, yeah, he... He does not want to die, even though he had no choice. He said, you can either send it to the sky, which is heaven, or you can go downstairs, which is hell, which is basically what Daddy said. So he decides to head back and, takes a and tries to take a tram, and on this tram, he meets a girl named, well, they never give her name in the anime, but for for references sake, she's called Poe. And Poe, as it turns out, is the personification of this planet, which is Planet Limbo. She realizes she cannot send Daddy back to us, back into the past before he died, but apparently she discovers that he has a hidden power that allows him to send her, allows her to send him to another universe one in which before he died. And she decides <laughs> to do this out of love. Yeah, the, oh yeah, the, uh, yeah, all that do which 
Uh, I do appreciate that the show actually does do a pretty decent job of foreshadowing the twist of what Bambi actually is like earlier on. In Most the notably, life. this was the episode that Shinichiro Watanabe himself did, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was very deep, and uh, thank you for that selection, y'all. Uh, then as he comes out to the word Limbo, uh, I guess two episodes later... He has this weird dream where he gets caught up with this dancing guy, all clad, dressed in gold, cloud hair, the works. He comes across a planet Greece, which <laughs> is aptly named, tries to avoid it for fear of his dream coming true, encounters this little, this little thing called a. <laughs> oh my god, called Tadravolta. <laughs> I, I wonder what that's a reference to. Wait, wait, um, touch, touch. Rap okay. I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's be honest. It's, it's clearly a reference to the classic movie Face Off. Okay, let's be real. It's, it's definitely Grease, but it also has bits of Saturday Night Fever, too. So uh. I was going to say, it's definitely Grease and Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Especially Saturday Night Fever. Especially if you watch that episode on Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> so he kind of spot who that the t- local tur- bureau tur- who that the local tourist officer believes is a dead singing, to which no one's ever encountered before in the last five hundred years. Then his mother wakes up out of a coma and tells him, "No, that's no, that's not that singing. Wait, wait, what? That's not that singing." This is a death singing. Please tell me that sounded Australian. Close enough. I apologize to any Australians that might be listening to this episode. But uh, you can blame Crocodile Dundee for that meme. Ooh. When in doubt, blame Crocodile Dundee it out. Oh, God. Okay, okay. Comments about that. Anyway, so as it turns out, this is just a guy that loves to party and death on every planet he ever goes to. And uh, get, he gets into a dance contest with Daddy, because Daddy's tired of his attitude. To which, I like how the fact that he's just kind of dancing spins back time, I guess. And it's just like everybody's just having a little fun with it. And then the next thing you know, these two are just battling it out to the point that the dead singers have revived that they might end up uh, destroying the whole universe, which. Oh no, they, they did again! They did again. But it gave us probably the funkiest credit, any credit sequence ever. <laughs> they died. We we died of funk, but it was worth. Mm-hmm. But what was worth it was uh, Johnny. Oh, let's see, Johnny's a musician. Likes to have a little fun. Has a deep voice. Who who would who's named John that we could get to play him? Oh, I know, John Bergmeier. No, I'm kidding. No, he's played by John Young Bosch. Of course, of course. Uh, further than that, it's played by Kyle Haber. Poe is played by Elizabeth Maxwell. And Todd Travolta himself is played by Major Attaway. John Young Bosch, you've heard him talk about him before. He's Leo Fulte in Promare. And Adam Park in the Power Rangers franchise. Kahi Bear is Kamida and Korean Lagarde and Berserker and Face Zero. 
Elizabeth Maxwell is Polina leaving Sky and Astra lost in space and Midnight My Hero Academia. And Todd Travolta, Major Adwell, oh my god, this man. He's Arcadios in Fairy Tale and Sultan Vega in the Stack World. But if you've ever been somewhere on Broadway at some given point in time, you might have heard him as the genie in Aladdin on Broadway. So I know which way this conversation is going to go, but uh, let's start, shall we? I specifically put Tron Travolta in here just so we could talk about Major Attaway. Okay, so here's the thing. So here's the thing about this character guy that I made. That I made. So I had y'all choose four or five characters. We ended up choosing six. We all had a mind meld at some point. So me and Megan picked Tron Travolta to talk about him because, one, he's just a fucking fun character, and two... After we ever get to talk about Major Attaway. We don't time. get to talk about Major Attaway ever, so... I'm still... Major Attaway fucking steals the entire episode as Tron. <laughs> yes. It is the funkiest, most upbeat thing ever. He is absolutely fantastic. It is one of the highlight, just one-off characters of the show. Um... Ferdinand, Kyle, I could not, I, I'm going to be real, I could not tell that Ferdinand was Kyle Haybear, nor that Poe was Elizabeth Maxwell. Um, they were fantastic, and Ferdinand has, Kyle Haybear delivers absolutely one of the other most creepy speeches in the show. Where, like, at one point he's like, he like reaches and takes off Dandy's face and it's holding his face up to his skull. Oh, God. <laughs> and it's so fucking good. And I really wish that they would let uh, Kyle Haver do more characters like that. And that juxtaposed to Elizabeth Maxwell's so quiet and childish Poe, who is just this being that saw the world tear itself apart because they they hated each other and watched it fall into this, like, bourgeoisie, like, anti-death hell. And she has this very quiet and powerful moment in, like, the most quiet and powerful moment of Space Bandy as a show. And it's one of the most visually stunning episodes of the show. And then... <laughs> and then there's Johnny. Um... Here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. I love that when he does that in the last episode. <laughs> uh, Jet and I know that this is probably making fun of a certain uh, record executive in Japan. Oh, like, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, this is probably This is probably a jab at Johnny's music label. You know what? That Who are... That would definitely make sense. I mean, to it, the it has to be to the point that they even list a character designer for him in his episode. Uh, yeah, like Johnny is Johnny is this like sparkling douchebag rocker. He's like Honey, but if Honey wasn't so, if Honey, but Honey is you know actually self aware, he's not. And I love the fact that he is just this like douchey rocker guy who's also a prince. Wait a second! Wait just a darn minute. His whole th like his his whole thing is why to be is why to be a musician and not being willing to like go to the emperor to like 
actually practice singing and it just kind of mostly worked off his lips. Man, this really is just making fun of Johnny. So yup! <laughs> yeah, like, I love the scene where he's like, I'm waiting for the music to come to me and he's just in the park. And he grows the beard. It's like, yeah, this isn't how it works. And then there's just, like, fucking... Fucking... Meow, meow and QT are just like, we had time to practice. Uh, so overall, I, I really like all their performances, but as as much as Johnny Young Bosch kind of tries to steal and hams it up as Johnny, I think really Kyle and... Um, Kyle and uh, Elizabeth really stole it with being in arguably the best episode. And just having Major Attaway get to do anything is fucking great. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, Major Attaway was a lot of fun as a Tron Javolta here. Uh, he uh, uh, had a lot of energy inspired the performance and uh, he bounced off of it and Chris standing really well. And uh, that, that whole episode was just a really fun, if kind of very odd time. And, uh, I dug it a lot. And, uh, type, uh, Kyle Hibbert is for Ned, and Elizabeth Maxwell is Poe. Uh, uh, yeah, admittedly, even though I've heard Kyle Hibbert do that kind of voice before, uh, for some reason, it didn't quite click to me that it was Kyle. I actually, until I read the credits, I actually thought it was Sunny Street. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but, uh, sorry, uh, but, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought uh, Kyle did a good job of making Ferdinand sound like uh, sound like very unsettling, but uh, not in the same way Ukulele Man, where like this character is like clearly dangerous. It's like Ferdinand doesn't. You can tell Ferdinand doesn't exactly mean harm, but he is just kind of like very creepy. Yeah, to which uh, unrelated to which I don't know if it has like. Nothing to do with their performance specifically, but it's just a thing I really like about that particular episode. Man, I really want to shake the hand of like whoever thought it was a good idea to just have like space Oopaloopa singing about how everyone should accept their own mortality. Oh yeah, <laughs> the little that part was great. The little like weird worm pandas singing about that. Yeah. The enth the entropy song. Oh, that was so beautiful. Imagine Madoka Magico the Musical, where Kubei has a song about entropy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that was great. Uh, yeah. yeah, I like Kyle Hebert a lot, and then, like, contrasting that with Elizabeth Maxwell, who sounded, like, a very soft-spoken and quiet as Bo, but uh, did a really good job of kind of getting across the tragedy of uh, the character kind of being very alone because uh, Jean saw her world get devastated by war and now she's just kind of alone, so she's so she's very taken with Dandy, who's just kind of like transcend who is, who by this point is just kind of already transcended death because, yeah, they really did a good job of foreshadowing that twist the entire time. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I thought uh, they bounce off each other really well. And uh, Johnny Boss is Johnny, like yeah, you can just yeah, you can just tell like the moment they saw this character design and they saw the name, they were like, "Get John and Bosch on the phone." I kind of disappointed. I kind of disappointed. In ring, ring. <laughs> Hello, Mister Bosch. I know you have backstroke for days, but can we borrow you? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, admittedly, given the musical theme of the episode, I'm a little disappointed that Johnny and Boss didn't get to sing himself, but, like, now knowing that this was probably Johnny's reference, I think that was probably the point, and that just really adds to the joke. It's amazing. It's like a trifecta right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but yeah, he does. A, yeah, he does a good job of making Johnny come off as like uh, as this very self-important guy who's that's uh, who is clearly like not used to the ways of the world, but also has like a weirdly high a weirdly high opinion of himself as like a wannabe musician and just kind of assumes things will work out for him. And then they some because he's hot. Yeah, because he's hot, and like somehow they do, which is. Kind of funny in its own way, and then, and then it kind of backfires, and them kind of going out and they sing "Only Boy Can Boy," which was great. Yeah, yeah, and that whole episode was just a lot of fun. Yeah, it's very much a lot of fun. So, uh, I think they're just gonna do decent pairs. Uh, further down in Paul, Kylie Bird, but this with Maxwell. Yeah, Kylie Bird was much like Bryce Papa, but he was. Slightly enough because you talk to like this deep kind of voice. Like, you couldn't tell if, like, you were supposed to, I don't know what the motivation was, like, if you were supposed to pretend to be drunk or, like, just, like, have, like, an oxygen deficiency or something. But the fact that his character is revealed to be, I guess, the adversary of death, if you will, that kind of puts it to guide you through limbo. It was very neat. I didn't, I didn't realize about the whole limbo thing until. He talked about the little black box thing in his head that the whole time you you can't find QT or meow anywhere. And then Elizabeth Maxwell's Paul, which the last time I heard her do a voice like that, I think there was Nikki from Camp Camp who sounded like that. And even then I couldn't believe it was Elizabeth Maxwell because like I said, this was like a, a platform for a lot of rising stars who'd be Come bigger names later on. And I think Elizabeth Maxwell was one of them because she was just up and coming at that time too. I, I think, yeah, because this would be before um, I think Noragami would come out and P five was still a couple years away. And so was Titan, I think, because she was a was it was Elizabeth Maxwell? Yeah, she was. Um, no, that was Morgan Garrett. Uh, I thought Elizabeth Maxwell was a decent part of Attack on Titan. I, I think I'm remembering it wrong. I feel, I feel like she is, but I can't remember which character she is. Oh, right, she is! She's fucking Ymir, that's why. How can I betray my own favorite character? Uh, I mean, in fairness, you can betray her any harder than Ichiyama did. Oh, <laughs> oh Jed, I owe you a fucking beer for that one. Oh man, so many women got done dirty in that series. Uh, anyway, no, go ahead, Jed. If you, uh, Jamal, sorry, I didn't mean to take your thing over. Yeah, it's okay, but yeah. So the fact that she kind of just helps out this guy because she realized she's a bee that could never be with her, that kind of thing. So she decides to help out, help him out, love. And then you kind of once you get to like towards the end of the episode, you realize. What exactly the whole deal was? I think you. I think you did describe that it was like what. Uh, it was a, a antagonism between her and further dad. I think that's what. You uh, kinda. Kind. It looked that way, but then it looked like they kind of just weakened out after a while because she gets up on that trap herself, 
at the face that she's happy to see most is daddy. So it's like the way she consigned herself to a fate, but it's like fate had something else in store for her. But it, I, I, I have to watch the episode to get to understand. But I did find that was kind of touching. And then we get to, you know, what? I'm just gonna go to Johnny is Johnny portraying Johnny. <laughs> Yeah, because I thought it was kind of apropos, because I thought, you know, kind of like what they did with uh, Terry Doney in the assassination class, but I thought they literally followed Johnny, just like, decided to model him, just like, kind of a Johnny, but anti-Johnny. What's funny is, in the, in the Caribbean, Johnny's a different kind of term, but I'm not going to say what it is on the internet, because I forgot what it means, and it's probably not good. But Johnny's Johnny's tons of fun and like especially even if they had that one song to say it was enjoyable nonetheless and yeah with all the mech anime references and stuff it was very apropos because I think this was after Koki Yoss now you think about it where but at least he was less of a dick than Lelouch was but it was still surprised. It was still nice to see him in the very last episode, but here's Johnny. Uh. <laughs> uh, speaking of Johnny, I'm I'm sorry, Todd Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I think pretty much he kind of just, I guess in a way, steals the series, even if he's like not completely connected, because. And it's, it's going to be weird when I say this, but hear me out. To me, he sounds like a less scratchy David Wald. And the reason I say that is because I've been watching the the Fruit of Evolution recently, which thanks to you guys, meme it is. Like, I did not meme that into existence. Don't you put that evil on me. <laughs> oh, I'm not putting it on you, but he knows who he is. <laughs> anyway, I've been watching the dub, but I came across this... The skull face dude that apparently turns out with a, a jilted lover or something. And I thought that was David Wall. And then the director told me that was Major. I was like, wait a minute, that's him? Holy shit. So when I went back, so I went back to watch this episode again, it was like, I could kind of hear it, but I could kind of not. But I know Major had been out of the game since then. At least I thought he was until now, because I thought to myself, Please let me let me talk about him because I don't know when I'm ever gonna get a chance to talk about him ever again. And then he shows up in Food Evolution. A main border the borderline whatever that show is. Anyway, he's very impressive and very high maintenance and high energetic. Especially when you see his dancing videos on his Twitter of him in his Aladdin outfit, which I don't think he's playing a, uh the genie anymore, so uh if he was, I think he was on the traveling show. That would make sense. I think he was part of the traveling cast. That would make sense, but then again, I'm not really into musicals as much as some of y'all, so. But he did very great, doesn't I mean, pretty much everybody here did very well. And I think before we get to final thoughts, we can bring this back around full circle and talk about the Aloha Oi one more time, because I think. If you haven't noticed by now that Daddy shows up in all these episodes, even though he dies in most of them. Most and he sleeps his way through one. 
Ah, yes, the Law and Order episode. Done, uh, done. Which, by the way, that was Tasha Jaffe and Michael Sinter Nicholas as the two prosecutors. I thought that was Eric Vail in another role for a second, but no. That was uh, 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 I can tell right away that was Michael Sinter Nicholas. I didn't know who the other one was. I couldn't figure out who the other one was. Just all I know is they did their best deliverance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it turns out that the whole reason for this is because Daddy has the ability to access huge, huge amounts of an element called Pionium, which allows him to transcend verses. Not warping as like he described in the episode 24, where he says that a warping doesn't actually exist because... It, traveling between two universes is what they call warping, but it's not warping. It's just basically the way to describe it is this. Uh, I guess the Schrodinger's cat kind of thing kind of works if you know about Schrodinger's cat. Uh, yeah, I guess this is like Danny like travels to parallel worlds and like replaces him in that world, essentially. Or if you ever see the really old TV show called Seven Days, it's something like that. Oh except... my gosh. Oh, you seen it? Anyway, I just, I just find that like through all his journeys that his growth was kind of impressive, even though he ended up resetting the universe and uh, <sighs> pointing a hitchhiker's guy to the galaxy. For what it's worth, Daddy Aloha, Oi. The Kudi Loha Oi were very spectacular throughout the entire series. I. I just love the show so very much, and I think. Having said that, I think it's time to go to the final dandies, that is, the final thoughts. So. What did you guys think of this show? Uh, I'll go first. So, overall, I actually. I don't know, like, just personally thoughts about the show. I don't know if people had actually overhyped it for me. Um, because when I was done, like, I was like, yeah, that was an enjoyable part of my time. This isn't, like, a 10 out of 10, like, quote-unquote peak show. It's just very good, and I do think there are some times where they relied a little bit too much on Dai Saito's writing, because Dai Saito is very hit and miss. Um, oh, that first when, episode like, had me fucking drowsy. <laughs> um... Dice writes more than a few episodes of this show, and uh, let's just say, after what I was told how the first uh, Eureka 7, like, rebuild movie went, I kind of lost a lot of respect for Dice Uh, because it was genuinely one of the most fuck-you things I had ever seen, I had ever heard of. Um, dub-wise, this is a really good dub. And I think that beyond being a really good and really fun dub with a lot of characters is that this is the dub that 100% changed how we consume English dubs. And in a lot of cases, it isn't very good what it changed. Um, I enjoy simul dubs, but I think that there's a lot of things that simul dubbing has caused overall that have become, I think, unhealthy. Uh, whether it be super tight construct uh, time, like super tight production times, I like genuinely. I think that the best part of the simuldub era was when we were under record at home and stuff was coming out inconsistently, 
but it was coming out and it was really good quality. Unfortunately, uh, and I will say this, a lot of anime fans, especially dub fans, are kind of entitled. And I don't think that they were ever going to be used to the way that it used to be before Space Dandy. And that kind of sucks because I wish it wasn't like that. Um, yeah. But overall, but overall, like, I can't knock what was produced out of Space Dandy as anything other than, like, a really good dub because it's really good. It's just, for better or for worse, it changed the the way that English dubs exist in the current day. You know what? I could definitely see where you're coming from because I remember uh, Patrick said, I forget what it was. He was on, I think it was on Twitter, he said something about like, if he didn't know that uh, Cyber W would turn out this way, he never would have volunteered for Space Daddy or something like that. Don't quote me on that. I'd have to find the tweet or whatever it was I was listening to. It was a long time ago, but, uh, but yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, is that your final dandy? Or? Yeah, that's my final dandy. All right, Jet. Um, yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, it was a fun getting to revisit the show after a few. That's right, after a good few eight years, man, I'm old. But uh, it, uh but yeah, uh, it was a pretty fun time. Uh, I, also, uh, I like this show. It's not like one of my personal favorites, but uh, but it's a show I deeply respect because even if not like every episode necessarily hits always, I just appreciate that a show like this was just like allowed to exist at all because uh, it's just like a pretty big animated playground and like you never know what you're going to get with each episode. It, it's always something new and different. And there are a lot of just really fun creatives on this show, including sorry, including some names that would go on to be pretty big. Like, okay, like no one really knew who Shingo Natsume was before Space Dandy, and now Shingo Natsume is like a pretty big name in the industry. Shingo Natsume has also animated two of my favorite shows of like the last, God, some, like five or six years at this point now, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this show has a lot of who's who what, of what's what the Japanese stuff, because I know the mechanical designer for the show, the guy that designed all the robots and stuff, was Thomas for made, I think, a Code Lyoko fame. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he did some stuff on Code Lyoko, I think. I know he did, and I know he definitely did some stuff on Obon Star Racers. I think he is the Obon Star Racers guy. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he just straight up is the Obon Star Racers creator. That's, uh, no, he's not the creator, but I know he was part of the staff. Uh, the creator is like another Thomas. Oh, yeah, he's, uh, no, it was, um, Savin Yata Eiffel created it. But yeah, he, he was a huge part of that. I thought is, I, I'm gonna sound really weird, but did Thomas from, was he the, also the French guy who worked on, um, on Pop Team Epic, or was that a different French guy? That was, uh, yeah, that was a different French guy. I love that guy. I hope he comes back in season two. Yeah, basically. I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, 
Yeah, but yeah, this is a DIY like BB uh, respect got to exist, and it's great. And as for the dub, the dub, sorry, uh, the dub is a lot of fun. I did think it had like maybe a couple of growing pains early on, but I definitely thought it improved a lot with time. And considering this was like the big pioneer of cyber dubs, I think as a whole it came together pretty well. The product, and yeah, in a sense, I think. Uh, that while cyber dubbing was a pretty like big step towards the for the industry, uh, it's simply one that's kind of come with its own share of problems because uh, now it's just kind of become the norm and uh, and sometimes and a lot of times it can be pretty hard for productions to kind of like keep up with that and we are and while we're still getting like pretty good products in spite of the circumstances, oh, stuff, stuff, stuff isn't always uh, coming out as well as it could. So, man, yeah. Uh, did something happen? Yeah, but uh... I know what your mom might have seen. So I, yeah, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, uh, uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like Space Dandy. It's a uh, good show, good dub. Uh, definitely big impact on the industry. Uh, I guess uh, your mileage may vary on exactly how much uh, good it did for the industry overall. Is that your final uh, dandy? All right. Yeah, that would be my final dandy. Yeah, so when I first started watching this show, why did I know I was going to be in for Rude Awakening? Because 2014 was a hell of a year for me. So when I came across this show, it kind of lift me up, lifted me up in ways I didn't expect. To the point that, like, this was, what, one BDT before Dub Talk. I didn't expect my life to change so soon right after that. It's like... They were on the verge of something groundbreaking, but at the same time, it's like, you know, they still had their limitations and understanding of what to deal with going forward. I think it was also to the point that, like, it got to be too much to the point that, like, people were speculating that they were, that Funimation was about to go bankrupt on a certain powerhouse series, but that's none of my business. What is my business, however, is how much this show is awesome and how much that more people need to watch this show and the from the from beginning to end the dub is spectacular the show has its moments but hey i'm willing to roll with the punches so that having been said space daddy needs more love i mean for god's sakes it's a bold show and i think it's and it's funny because there were some moments where like <laughs> I see fist fights and stuff, and Micah said that both seems to love punching for some reason, but uh, it's neither here nor there. It's just, this is a show you need to check out as soon as you get the chance, whenever you get the chance. And if you want to check out the show for yourself, there are multiple ways you can do it. Right now, you can get our Blu-ray DVD from White Stuff, Best Buy, wherever you buy your local anime, or if you're a schmuck like me, you could... Buy from your from an out of state card while meeting up with your friends, even though Hardy told you never buy an anime from a card. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, man. 
Ironically enough, I've seen that vendor before here in South Florida. Which I do. Oh, I know exactly who you brought it from then. <laughs> yeah. Twitch, now that you think about it, I did not know Musical was also this weekend, and uh, Katie Mills had to catch I it. saw, I know, I saw that, and I was like, oh, and then, oh, no, he would have been so happy. Yeah, but it is what it is. Like I said, buy the Blu-ray, if you want to stream it, right now it's archived on Funimation.com for how, for God knows how long. It's, it now just moved over to Crunchyroll as well. Well, some add up. Maybe someday I'll check out the sub, but who knows. But uh, as for us and what we get up to, we the Dub Talk Podcast. We can be found on our media platforms, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, basically the like. We have a Kofi and a Patreon account. Twitch, if you want to support us, uh, you can send us a coffee for a coffee for Kofi, or for five dollars on Patreon, we'll get you at least a shout out on air. To which we like to thank Megan's mom and dad, Michelle Travis, Nico Robin, but with Yowie heads, and Victor Maybaroda. But if you upgrade to the ten dollar tier, you'll be entered into you'll have a chance to enter to our quarterly raffle, which by the time this episode comes out might be happening or it might be closed. To which, uh, please be sensible with your choices for episodes because we're not every choice is going to make it. And, uh, some episodes we may not like or some episodes we might not criticize. You know, that's just how we roll. We do what we like and what we like what we do, but if... For in our ten dollar tier, we have uh, Anthony Brown, Carly Leistercow, Crimson Kinder, Jacob Wilson, Jared Hawkins, Julia W, Marissa Letty, and Otaku Anthony. Thank you all for supporting us on Patreon. As for us, I can be found on my personal Twitter, Jabstar529. No, that is not a random series of numbers. Yes, that's actually my birthday. <laughs> Which was today. Happy birthday. Yes. Happy I like, birthday again. Thank you. I like how to get played. So I, I can also be found on my YouTube at Jabstar Wood. I've been sister editor for this podcast. I've been trying to do a solo podcast for the longest while, but you know, shit happens. But all in all, we have a good time here. And if you two would like to plug yourselves. Uh, sure. I am Jet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Divinega, where I'll be the wing just like. I'll be talking about, like, anime, cartoons, uh, news, uh, whatever is going on, I guess. Uh, you can also find me on another podcast, Podcast OA, where I'll usually be doing debriefs about anime news alongside fellow dub talkers, Andrew. And I also write things for Payton sometimes. Hi, my name is Megan. You can follow me at Queenier2. I usually ship posts on the regular, and I hang out on a couple discords, including Funimation and Anime Domes. Hey, so any final words before we head out? Uh, before we blast off into space, I mean? Uh, it's all about that base. Uh, the booty. It's all about that booty. About that booty. No tits, please. <laughs> Actually, uh, no. 
Ah, uh, guys. I have only one thing to say. Come out to the bucket with me. Ah, uh, okay. Now, I should have did it with a Johnny Bravo accent, but it's like too late. I'm tired. <laughs> it's fine. I'll do the monkey with you. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sore. I'm old. I'm doing the motions and you can't see them, but my I'm tired and sore, so it hurts. Yeah, from all of us here at Dub Talk, good night. I'll talk you on and keep going with the flow, baby. Sakasama no mama de atate no mama